insurrection, obstruction, indictments, civilly liable for sexual abuse. The one man responsible for all that could be sitting in a prison cell on election day and still be elected commander-in-chief for these United States. That man is beholden to Putin, weakened NATO the last time around, and is currently tying himself to wealthy Saudi oil money. He enriched himself when government stated his properties. He campaigned on wanting to use government to go after his political rivals and wants to expand executive power. If Donald Trump is re-elected, our nation is lost. So let's roll up our sleeves, get to work, and tell the MAGA folks no more before it's too late. Welcome back to Digital Day and Radio. Talk to the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. Uh, if you are on the listening on Blog Talk Radio, uh, don't chat there. Uh, you could either come to the Twitch stream, twitch.tv slash Liberal Day and Radio, or to join us on YouTube, LiberalDaneRadio.com will bring you to the YouTube channel. Kind of hard to manage three chat rooms, so we're going to go with the two that come with the video. So come and join us there. Uh, or, or if you are listening after the live broadcast, leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc. on the episode thread at LiberalDaneRadio.com or at LiberalDan.com or on, you can respond to me on Twitter. Uh, Liberal Day and Radio, or on Facebook, Liberal Day and Radio as well. Um, this is the last show for a week and a half. Uh, next week, I will be on a cruise. Um, I may try and put up some content to go live at some point next week. Um, but uh, next week might be a good time if you want to listen, listen to more of my stuff. You can go watch some of my old Fat Man Rants, uh, Coming to Terms with Activism, uh, uh, unraveling toxic masculinity, etc. So get some of those views up, share some of those videos, comment on them, like them, get those algorithms going uh, as we push to try and make it to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, the videos mostly aren't available on Twitch since we're nude streaming on Twitch. Um, but if you want to support the show above and beyond, subscribing and following for free, uh, other free ways you could do besides liking and sharing YouTube comments, uh, YouTube, YouTube comments, YouTube videos, etc. Uh, you can also, uh, if you have Amazon Prime, you can use your Prime subscription uh, to subscribe to free for free on Twitch. Uh, shout out to Mark P who did use his uh, Twitch free subscription uh, today. Uh, to give you to add up one more subscriber. So thank you, Mark P, for that. I appreciate that. Uh, other ways to support the show, you can uh, become a, uh, you can subscribe regularly on Twitch. You can 
become a member on YouTube. You can buy subscriptions or memberships for other people on Twitch and YouTube, respectively. You can you can purchase bits and use bits on Twitch. You can do super chats on YouTube. You can Venmo me, Liberal Dan, on Venmo. Buy me a cider, liberaldan.com. Click the Buy Me a Cider button or just go to buymeacoffee.com slash liberaldanradio as well. Um, most important thing is to get that is we're getting the views up to on YouTube to so that we can hit 4,000. We've been doing great in a month. We've upped it almost almost to 3,700 hours. We were we were just barely hitting 3,000 at the end of December, and now we're just into February and we're almost at 3,700 already. So I'm sure by the end of February um, or maybe mid March we'll get to the 4,000 mark, which means we just got to hit 4,000 subs and we'll be able to get full monetization activated on uh, on YouTube as well. We also got the Patreon. You can be Liberal Dan Radio patron, uh, patreon.com slash Liberal Dan. Patreons get access to bits. I posted the Hypocrite of the Week early uh, last week, so you'll be able to see that. Uh, some, some memberships on YouTube will also get early access to videos, uh, but bits uh, will get posted as they're produced early. We'll, we'll get posted to Patreon as well. Patrons will also get to vote on certain aspects of the show uh, when I definitely want your opinion. Uh, that's the best place that if you want to share your opinion and kind of steer the show, um, I'm, I'm going to ask the patrons and I'm going to seek out your opinions on that issue. So if you want to vote on certain aspects of the show, you can become a liberal, liberal day and radio patron for as little as five bucks a month. Um, we also got a very little bit of time left to go on the game on the uh, this, the uh, game I've been posting about. I'll get that link up in a second, uh, probably when I play Hypocrite of the Week. Um, I think Hal's still running, so we're going to give it a little bit more time. Um, you know, we only have nine viewers on YouTube, five on Twitch. Uh, we, we have nine viewers and four likes, so please remember to smash that like button. Um, please remember to share videos as well um, so we can make sure those algorithms get going. Let's see, uh, Jeff, shout out to the Mod Squad, uh, Jolie and Aaron, Jeff Curry and Steve from, Steve from Across the Pond. Jeff Curry says, I'm here, let the BS begin. Oh, the BS is here whether or not uh, you're here, but, you know, you're welcome to join in and add to it. Uh, Bicycle Mike, good to see you. Uh, Bicycle Mike, jerk free radio. Hmm, I wonder what you're talking about when it comes to that. Uh, Jeff Curry, local news today, talks to Kansas City Chiefs chaplain. He's sitting on couch in his home in background glass cabinet. You can see five bottles of liquor. Yeah, I saw how it was on when I was loading up my Twitch stream because I'm one of my viewers on Twitch is my Nerdy Dan account. So I was I, when I logged in, I saw that how was still rolling. So uh, maybe, maybe hopefully we'll have some more uh, people raiding after Hal's chat again. Big shout out to Aaron for making that happen the other day. Um, love you for that. You are awesome. Um, not surprised. There's not all um, chaplains are are abstain from the imbibing of alcohol. Hell, it's part of a Jewish tradition for the holiday of Purim uh, that you're supposed to get so drunk that you can't tell uh, the good guys from the bad guys, i.e., um, oh, I'm so bad. I'm such a bad. I know the bad guy's name is Haman. I can't remember the good guy. Oh, wow. It's been such a long time since I've celebrated Purim. Um, 
I'm a poor Jew. So, Big Hook, thank you, though, for letting me know that house salon. Um, stuff to talk about. Yeah, next week is going on a cruise. So, I might try and post stuff here or there, like small little bits or whatever, small little updates, small little chats or whatever, but probably nothing big will, or anything, anything larger format that comes will probably be posted as a pre, pre-edited, pre-selected video that is made to go live over the course of the week. But again, there will, I'll, and I'll try and remind people that there's no, that there will be no shows on Monday and Wednesday um, as, as they go. Um, but Mod Squad, and I'll try and reach out to Andrea as well. Also, please remember, just remind people that we'll be off next week. So for a well-needed vacation. So anywho, so what's going on? Uh, life updates. I, I, previously on the show, when we last talked about my healthcare situation, uh, in the lovely state of healthcare that is the United States of America, um, I had the, the short, short version was that uh, I, I had been put on Medicaid at the beginning of the pandemic when I didn't have a job. Uh, when I found a job several months later, I reported that I had a job uh, to the Louisiana Department of Health, and they're like, we're not getting rid of anybody off of Medicaid yet. So for about a good two and a half years, I was still able to give you on Medicaid, even though technically I didn't qualify. But I did the right thing. I made sure to let them know, look, I don't qualify. So I don't want to be in trouble. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to do something that's not right. You know, and I'm sure a lot of people might want to do things that are not right. But I didn't want to do the not right thing, so I let them know. But again, then it came time, uh, November of last year, they're like, okay, we're going to be canceling you at the end of the month. I'm like, November? So that means I have to hop on another insurance and, and work towards a deductible only to have it reset? So I tried to appeal. The appeal was seemed to be failing. I gave up on the appeal, you know, even though they said the appeal was actually gone through. They said that it would be good through uh, November of this upcoming year, but it's still the cards still weren't working. I finally got the cards in the mail on the 30th of December. The cards worked. I talked to my work. I, I showed them the, the proof that I got this coverage and I'm still covered. They dropped my insurance at work, so I'm no longer paying for double insurance. Very cool. I'm insured through November 30th of this year. I don't have to worry about an extra $900 a month of, of, of premiums plus co-payments, uh, deductibles, co-insurance, et cetera, until two days ago or whatever, until, until Monday. I think it was Monday when I got the letter. Maybe it was Saturday. I don't remember exactly when the day was, but I think it was Saturday when I got the letter. And yeah, they said it was some really horribly worded letter. But as I was able to pick apart what they actually said, I went and checked my website for the Louisiana Department of Health, and they said, oh, your case is closed. Your last day of insurance now is February 29th, which is fine because that creates, if you, you know, I'm, I'm well enough, I'm well familiar enough with insurance that this creates um, an event, that a special event, uh, which creates a special enrollment opportunity. So now I can opt into my works insurance I can, I can re-opt in. I'll be able to have my works insurance starting from March on. But now, at the beginning of March, I'll be having to pay for my works insurance when I didn't think I'd have to until the end of November. <sighs> so more money coming out of my pocket that I wasn't expecting, which sucks. But, you know, it happens. 
you know, unfortunately, things happen that you don't want them to every day. And it, it sucks that I have to pay $900 for a family plan, but it is what it is. Thank you, Donald. And uh, at least my gambit actually worked with the appeal. My gambit was only supposed to work for a month. It worked for three. So I guess at the the, the bright side of it is I actually saved 1800 bucks plus some additional stuff. So maybe that's the bright side of things. But again, I was, I was making some sort of decisions on what to buy, what not to buy based on the idea that, okay, I'll be good through November. And now I'm not, which sucks. But anyway, I'll burn that bridge when I get there. <laughs> but there, there, that's just, we should have universal universal health care coverage like a Medicare for all type plan or, you know, a, a public option that, you know, you could pay into uh, with your tax dollars that whereas where you could pay the premiums with that and basically buy into Medicare using your tax dollars so it's cheaper, something like that. But, you know, we don't have enough we don't have enough people in the Senate to support that, because even though we control the Senate, we didn't control, even though we controlled the Senate and controlled the House during the first two years of the Biden presidency, we had too many conservatives in the Senate to be able to pass anything like that, even though like 78% of the country supported the public option that Biden ran on. Everybody wants it. It's just nobody's willing to push their elected officials to do it, because just like with any polling data, like, you know, how most people in this country don't want these horrific abortion bans. Most people are not willing to vote people out who pass them because it's not worth it to them because half the people in the country can't get pregnant, so they don't give crap. So <laughs> Jeff Curry, Jeopardy clue yesterday about fiction or people, genius, millionaire, playboy, philanthropist. I would have rang in and said, who is Jethro Bodine? <laughs> That would be Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. Um, nerdy Dan. Um, but yes, U.S. healthcare is a scam. It's terrible. And, and, the insur and one of the problems with the healthcare system, and I've talked about this before, but you have these, these pharmaceutical companies, and the, the, they have these really expensive drugs. And the pharmaceutical companies know that we have these large deductibles and large co-pays and whatever. And so it's really expensive to get these drugs. So what they do is they make these co-payment assistance plans so that they'll pay for your high co-pays to get these drugs, knowing that the, that the pharmaceutical, that the insurance companies are going to pay the rest. So it's not, it's not a burden on you to pay it in, in visibly, but it's still a burden on the insurance companies to pay these things. So it causes everybody's prices to go up because now these insurance companies have to pay these, pay these inflated prices for these drugs that are probably not really as expensive as, you know, they want you to think that they are. And look, don't hate the player, hate the game when it comes to the people who need those drugs. Because look, when my wife was on Humira and we were on a low premium, high deductible plan and her prescription cost three thousand a month, and her and our and the insurance. There was no pharmacy deductible until you hit your. There was no pharmacy copay until you hit your deductible, and then once you hit your deductible, it was only a pharmacy copay. At the time, like so, on January second, 
you know, we if we wanted that medicine, we had to pay twenty four hundred bucks. So of course we used the copayment assistance plan. Of course we only had to pay like fifty bucks or ten bucks or whatever it was to get the prescription. But then it counted as us having paid the entire deductible on January second. So then the rest of the year, everything else is free with the exception of the copayment for other medicines. So yeah, we're, would we do we use that? Absolutely. But did I absolutely full well know that these types of plans in the long run end up causing all of our prices to go up? Yes. But again, that's not our fault as, as insureds. That's the fault of the entire healthcare system for creating a system that's that messed up, that we have to bend over backwards and play those games and play their games so that they can get money into their other coffers hand over fist. So... So anyway, that sucks. Uh, again, we got 13 viewers, 10 likes on YouTube. Please remember to smash that like button if you've not already done so. Um, let's see. So what else do we want to talk about? Before we talk about immunity, um, we did have the interesting ruling as it pertained to the mother of the shooter. Uh, was it in Minnesota or Michigan or what have you? Uh, where the uh, mother was found guilty uh, of is uh, criminally responsible in part uh, for the homicides that were committed by her son when he that he pled guilty to uh, because she did not take an active enough role in parenting her child and this you know opens the door for potentially a lot of maybe a lot of other parents will start to wake the f up and be like, look, maybe you need to take a little bit more of an active role in your kids' lives and understand that when your kids start acting, you know, in a way that's disturbing and problematic, you need to do something about it. You need to get them the help they need before they go end up doing something and hurting other people because you don't want, because it's your responsibility to take care of your kids. And, and if you can show that you did everything that you needed to do and your kids still did something, then absolutely you shouldn't be held responsible. But clearly in this case, she did not do what everything that she needed to do to make sure that her kid uh, got the treatment that he needed. And he even gave clear cries for help. So I'm glad that she got found guilty. I'm glad that, you know, she's now going to be punished uh, for her part in the deaths of these people because she should be treated as criminally responsible for his actions because she was responsible in part for enabling him for doing what he did. So Jeff Curry, that dad should be asking for a plea deal. I mean, I would think that the dad might very well at this point ask for a plea deal, but at what point at this point, why would the state accept one? Because if they got the mom, What's the dad going to give now? The dad's going to be like, uh, I'm going to plead guilty. For what? What, what? what can you possibly give us that's going to make it worth our while to accept the plea deal? We got we got your wife. She's, she's going to prison. Why would we then? Only thing that I could think of now is that they might, the only deal that they might be able to do is maybe they'll, they'll, make, they'll negotiate with the wife to, to, to now testify against the husband for a, for a lesser sentence. 
to make it easier for them to lock him up. That's the only deal maybe that they might make. But even then, if, 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 if their case was that good that they were able to get her, no problem. Why even bother? Put him, but make sure they're both locked up. Make sure they both go to prison. Don't even worry about the plea deal at this point. They could ask. The states would be like, okay, you can plead guilty all you want. We're not going to give you any deals for doing so. If you want to plead guilty, fine. But we're not going to give you any deals. Uh, if he pled guilty for lesser time, that was my trade. I mean, maybe, but again, there's a lot of times that will happen to get things through the system much more easily. But like in this particular circumstance, why? Like, I don't know if I was the prosecutor and, and, and he came to me and like, I said, look, I want to plead guilty for lesser time. I'd be like, no, sorry. This is an open and shut case. There's, there's no reason for the state to make a deal with you. I think it probably really depends on whether or not the, the prosecution or the, or the whatever, whoever is responsible for running the case, if they're elected or appointed. And whether or not at that point, are they, are they civil service or are they, are they civil service or are they elected? If they're elected, then they're probably going to want to have a big spectacle. If they're civil service, maybe they take the plea deal to make it so that they can get to the next bunch of cases. But if they're, if they're elected, then they're going to want that. They're going to want the big, big conviction on their record. To be able to say, I locked this guy up and this guy was responsible for the, the murder of all these kids. So yeah, the, the innocent lives can't be restored. Uh, but the, the point, the point is, is that the, the worse punish, the bigger the punishment that the parents get, the more of a, um, disincentive it would be or the more the the higher the incentive it is for other parents to say well maybe i need to be more active in my kids lives maybe i need to take more action and i think that would be the point so yeah they the more my understanding was they returned back the kid back to school who then started yeah exactly and the, the school even was like this kid needs help and they're like meh we don't care back to school that's the very, very abridged version of it, not the actual verbatim words and thoughts of the parents. That's my abridged version of it, just in case anybody wants to say that I'm, you know, go playing fast and loose with the facts. I'm just, that's just, you know, my quick, there you go. Trucker John's in the chat room. Well, shout out to Trucker John. If you've not followed Trucker John or watched Trucker John's videos, he's on a, he's got a thousand subs, but he, I don't think he has the, the views yet so he needs to get those views up to be able to get him to reach partner as well so go give trucker john a follow watch some of trucker john's videos too if you can his his lives are good as well go check him out midday whenever he goes live um sure jolie can give a link to the to his channel if you've not already subscribed to his channel for free over there on youtube um All right, so immunity. Donald Trump has none. And this is, of course, hilarious because the conservatives have their panties all tied up in his list over what the ruling says. 
and what the rule, what they think the ruling says and what the ruling actually says, two different things. Hey, Kim Chi, what's going on? Hey, Elizabeth, what's going on? Good to see you both. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for showing up. Appreciate y'all as well. <laughs> the CPAP master is here. Who's the CPAP master? Um, I have me and my wife both have CPAP. I was talking about that with my dentist earlier today, uh, how he's getting on a CPAP too. And he's hoping to be able to get good sleep. Cause he was like, you know, apparently you're supposed to breathe when you sleep. Who knew? Oh, um, my wife, I think took the test that like was just barely on the line of, yeah, there you go. You probably need a CPAP. I took the test and it was like, yeah, you need a CPAP now. So, and I think I have been sleeping better for the most part, even though recently my sleep hasn't been the greatest. Let's put it that way. I don't know why though. I've been really tired recently. I don't know why. Um, so, but, but what time did I go to the dentist today? I went to the dentist today. Shout out to Kimchi. Kimchi is a member for one month, a liberal Danimal. Appreciate you for re-upping for the month. Thank you so much. Um, but again, what time do you go to the dentist? Is the best time to go to the dentist is 2.30. That's right. Tooth hurty is the time to go to the dentist. And that's the time that I made my... That's the time I went to the dentist today, and that's the same time that I'll go to the dentist in six months. Tooth hurty. So, but I'm bumped. And I actually, and after the dentist, I got my hair did. So I got my, uh, you know, I got a haircut. So there you go, haircut. Because the headphone, the headphones don't really show the fact that I got my hair did, because I wanted to look nice for my cruise. So. There you go. And I'm rocking the beard. I don't know if I'm going to keep the beard again or not, but, you know, I'm, I'm rocking the trimmed beard instead of the goatee. So we'll see if I keep it or not. I don't know. Maybe I should make that a poll on the Patreon. <laughs> should Liberal Dan keep the beard or go back to the goatee? You decide. Um, yes, I got my ears lowered. You lost your emoticons. What? That's weird. Um... I need to work on getting the custom emoticons made. That's something maybe I'll do after the cruise. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? I was going to say something else, and I forgot. Lost my train of thought. It de my train of thought derailed, as it tends to happen. So let's go ahead, and we are going to uh, play this week's Hypocrite of the Week, and then we will go from this week's Hypocrite of the Week into... Uh, the main topic of this show. Shockingly enough, they're related. This week's Hypocrite of the Week is Donald Trump. Citizen Trump claims that he should be immune from anything he did while president. Full immunity. That is the basis of his criminal defense. Citizen Trump says that when he becomes president, he will direct his Justice Department to prosecute President Biden for things he's done while president. Not only is Citizen Trump a hypocrite, he is mind-numbingly stupid. To see who the Liberal Dan Radio Hypocrite of the Week is, tune in every Monday and Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central at LiberalDanRadio.com and now Twitch.tv slash LiberalDanRadio for more talk from the left. That's right. There you go. Donald Trump, Hypocrite of the Week. And it's absolute hypocrisy because out of one side of the mouth, he's like, you must have 100% full immunity to be able to do your job as president. And then the other side of the mouth is, when I become president, I'm going to send the Justice Department against Joe Biden for prosecution for what he's done as president. What? 
how. And he's been saying that not since yesterday, not since, not since the D.C. Court of Appeals said, no, you don't have full immunity. But he's been saying that for months or more. Like, the, the, and, and these conservatives, the, the poorly educated that Donald Trump says that he loves since the 2016 Nevada primaries, refuse to see that hypocrisy. They refuse to see how it, it, it just is completely contradictory. But I guess if you're going to love the, the poorly educated, you have to act like them too. You need to set the example so that they'll behave in the same way that you want them to behave. Because if, if you, if you want to, even if he wasn't poorly educated, which he's, you know, he's just really dumb. But even if he was smart, he'd have to act dumb to set the example for how he want his people to, to behave, to act. So, anywho, there's that. But yes, the D.C. Court of Appeals did say unanimously in their three-judge panel that Donald Trump does not have immunity. In fact, they called him Citizen Trump, which has to drive him nuts and has to absolutely drive him what he must be just so angry at part of it that must fuel his angry tweets or angry truths or whatever he calls whatever his bullshit site tweet you know postings are called that must drive whenever he's when him getting referred to as citizen trump must just make him want to throw a bazillion ketchup bottles against the walls. I can't believe they called me Citizen Trump. I'm President Trump. I was rightfully elected president. Don't call me Citizen Trump. It's disrespectful. So, oh, that's the, oh wait, that's that's the right page, but it's the wrong thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's my uh, that's my soundboard because I didn't I didn't change it yet. So, yeah, here is the ruling. United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, United States of America, Appellee versus Donald Trump, Appellant. Uh, Donald Sauer argued the case for the appellant. Um, briefs, blah, 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 blah. We don't need to go through all of the people filing before Henderson, Childs, and Pan. Circuit judges, opinion for the court filed per curiam. Donald J. Trump was elected the 45th president of the United States on November 8th, 2016. Uh, he was sworn into office on January 20th, 2017 and served into his term. I mean, I'd use the term served lightly, uh, but served until his office expired at noon, January 20th, 2021. At that moment, President Trump became former President Trump and his successor, Joseph R. Biden, became president and became his own four-year term. Okay, I mean, clearly. Although the secret is set in Constitution, it did not proceed peacefully, yada, yada, yada. Since then, hundreds of people who breached the Capitol have been prosecuted and imprisoned. Former President Trump was charged in a four-court indictment as, four-account indictment as a result of the actions challenging the election results. Former President Trump moved to dismiss the indictment and district court denied his motion. Today, we affirm the denial for purpose of this criminal case Former President Trump has become Citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant. But any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution. 
And that's the first thing. That, that, that's some of the key language here. And I haven't seen much of, of what some of the you know, other experts, legal experts have been talking about when it comes to this. But this, this is the, a lot of the conservatives have their panties in a bunch when it comes to um thank you elizabeth for the super chat appreciate you um they're saying wrongly that the appeals court have said that presidents don't have immunity that's false that is not what this has said at least at this point all that this is saying right here is that any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution, i.e., while he was president, it is typically have, typically has been the policy of the Department of Justice and the opinion of most legal experts that the only way to punish somebody as president for any action, criminal or otherwise, is to impeach them so they can be removed from office. At which point you could criminally prosecute them for anything that they've done. And that's the, and, and his, his attorneys have tried to take that and twist it into the only way you can punish an ex-president is to have them be impeached. But that's not what, that's not the policy. The policy isn't you can only impeach ex-presidents if they're, you can only convict ex-presidents of crimes if they were impeached of those crimes. That's not what the policy is. The policy is while they're presidents, the only way to punish them is to impeach them first. And then you can convict, then you can bring them up on criminal charges. That's the policy. So, but for this prosecution, they're saying that Donald Trump is not immune because he was president. It doesn't mean that no president is immune from any criminal prosecution. There may very well be instances where a president did things over the course of his tenure as president that would still keep him immune because the actions that he did as president, while president, were relevant to his role as president and as such, he would maintain that immunity. But this is not such a case. Trump's our lawyers are basically making the argument that, again, if you've paid attention to the case, and I'm sure most of you have, that if you are president and you order a typically illegal action to take place, that the only way to punish you even after you become president, you would have to have been impeached and convicted of your articles of impeachment first. And that's BS. That's absolute BS. So let's continue with, with what they say. Background. Former President Trump did not concede the 2020 election, and in the ensuing months, he and his supporters made numerous attempts to challenge the results. Many of their attempts were allegedly criminal. Uh, the District of Columbia Federal Grand Jury indicted former President Trump on four criminal counts arising from the steps he allegedly took to change the outcome of the election. Conspiracy to defraud, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct the certification of an electoral vote, 
and a conspiracy against the rights of one or more persons to vote and to have their votes counted in violation of 18 U.S.C. At this stage of the prosecution, we assume that the allegations set forth in the indictment of true United States versus Valestas. We emphasize that whether the indictment's allegations are supported by evidence sufficient to sustain convictions must be determined at a later stage of the prosecution. The indictment alleges that former President Trump understood that he had lost the election and that the election results were legitimate, but he, that he nevertheless was determined to remain in power, quote, end quote. Indictment two. He then conspired with others to cast doubt on the election's outcome and contrived to have himself declared the winner. Uh, the indictment charges that he and his co-conspirators allegedly advanced their goal through five primary means, uh, used not only false claims of election fraud, so we all know what he did, so we can skip through all through that. Held a rally uh, from the rally, uh, blah, 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 blah. Then President Trump's efforts to overturn the election results are unsuccessful. On January 11th, nine days before uh, his inauguration, the House of Representatives adopted the impeachment resolution, yada, yada, yada. The single article of impeachment alleged he had violated his constitutional oath to faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States, his constitutional duty to take care of the laws he faithfully executed by inciting violence against the government, uh, the impeachment resolution asserted that President Trump repeatedly issued false statements, yada, yada, yada. Um, this, uh, importantly, by the time the United States Senate conducted the trial, he had become former President Trump at the close of the trial. 57 senators voted to convict him and 43 voted to acquit because two-thirds did not vote for conviction. He was acquitted on the article of impeachment. Uh, November 18th, 2022, Attorney General appointed John Smith as special counsel to investigate. Uh, and a Washington, D.C. grand jury returned at the instant four-count indictment against former President Trump on August 1st, 2023. And on August 28th, 2023, the district court said trial of March 4th. Former President Trump filed four motions to dismiss the indictment relying on presidential immunity, constitutional provisions, including the impeachment judgment clause and principles stemming from the double jeopardy clause, which is mind-numbingly stupid. And we've discussed that on the show. I have another video on that part. Look that up. Uh, we might talk about that a little bit still, but there is another video on that on this channel that you can look up. Uh, statutory grounds and allegations of selective and vindictive prosecution. Not that, you know, again, hypocrisy of the nth degree because he is running for president on the idea in part that if he becomes president, he is going to uh, have selective and vindictive prosecution against certain people, i.e. his political enemies. But don't let that, you know, get in the way of him making an argument. On December 1st, the district court issued a written opinion denying two motions that are based on presidential immunity and the two constitutional provisions in relevant part. The district court rejected Trump's claim of executive immunity from criminal prosecution, holding that former presidents enjoy no special conditions on their federal criminal liability. It concluded that the Constitution's sex structure and history do not support the existence of such immunity, and it would betray the public interest to grant a former president a categorical exemption from criminal liability for allegedly attempting to usurp the reins of government. It also held that neither traditional double jeopardy principles nor the impeachment judgment clause provide that a prosecution following impeachment acquittal violates double jeopardy. In fact, again, it's so stupid that he makes both that his legal team is making both arguments because again we've discussed this in another video but just shortly his legal team is making the argument both that in order for him to be criminally prosecuted for this that he would have had to have been impeached and convicted 
but they're making the argument that his impeachment and non-conviction means that it's double jeopardy should apply so that he can't be brought up on charges here. But if double jeopardy applied, then if he was impeached and convicted, that would also mean that double jeopardy would still apply and he still wouldn't be able to be brought up on charges here. So if double jeopardy applied, their other argument didn't wouldn't stand. So they're bringing up two diametrically opposed legal opinions. Basically, they're throwing a giant vat of spaghetti at the wall. And because it's Donald Trump, the spaghetti doesn't have spaghetti sauce in it. It's probably a whole bunch of ketchup and not spaghetti sauce. And that's all thrown up against the wall, hoping that some of it sticks. And none of it's going to because it's probably not very well cooked because, you know, he likes hamburgers. Former President Trump filed an interlocutory appeal of the district court's presidential immunity and double jeopardy holdings on December 13th. We granted the government's motion to expedite the appeal. An oral argument was held on January 9th, 2024. Jurisdiction. Although both parties agree that the court has jurisdiction over President Trump's former President Trump's appeal, Amicus Curiae of American Oversight raises a threshold question about our collateral order jurisdiction. In every case, we must assure ourselves of our jurisdiction, um, which, you know, prove that you have jurisdiction, even though both parties agree you have jurisdiction. What? Dumb. They have jurisdiction. Shut up. Um, we can, let's skip the jurisdiction BS. Because clearly they have uh, jurisdiction. Distinguishing Midland Asphalt. Midland Asphalt dealt with a third prong of collateral order test determined criminal defendants who argued that they're entitled to immediately appeal denial of their motion um, because the government had violated federal criminal procedure. The Supreme Court held that an order is effectively unreviewable on appeal only where the order at issue involves an asserted right. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we can skip over that. We can come back to it. We can come back to the Midland Asphalt thing if we need to, but we're going to skip it. Circuit precedent. Our circuit precedent has taken a broad view of Midland. Okay, we'll just come back to that again because, again, it's the whole Midland Asphalt thing. Um, Part three, executive immunity. For all immunity doctrines, the burden is on the official claiming immunity to demonstrate his entitlement. Makes sense. If I'm making a claim, you know, it, that's basically the idea of an affirmative defense. And I've talked about affirmative defenses on this channel a lot, because what conservatives have done over the course of the past maybe 10 to 20 years, that's being very liberal with the amount of years that it's taken place over, maybe it's been a little longer, but conservatives have done more broadly, not just with this type of issue, but with many issues, especially with issues like self-defense, stand your ground, et cetera. They've taken the idea of an affirmative defense and they've turned it on its head. Uh, an affirmative defense, typically when somebody raises an affirmative defense, it is the responsibility of the person to prove the affirmative defense true. So what, what is an affirmative defense? Affirmative defense basically means if, you, you, you're accused of killing somebody. An affirmative, a regular defense is like, I didn't kill the person. Prove that I did. And then they have to prove that you did. An affirmative defense is, yes, I killed somebody, which would normally be not a legal thing to do. Here's why I believe that my killing of the person was legal. And then you prove, you, 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 the burden of proof is now on the defense 
to show why the killing was legal. Many laws that are, have been created by ALEC and other such um, you know, conservative bodies, conservative think tanks, have pushed through conservative legislatures new wording of new laws that basically flip affirmative defenses on their head. And now it's not the requirement of the defense to prove the affirmative defense true. Now, if individuals raise an affirmative defense, it's the responsibility of the government to prove that the affirmative defense is not true, which is asking the, the prosecution to prove a negative, which is a logical fallacy, which has allowed people to go free killing people. It's ridiculous. Fortunately, in this case, it doesn't seem to be the case that, that, that federally speaking, affirmative defenses have not been flipped on their head yet. And let's hope that they never do. And one of the reasons that one of the ways to make sure that affirmative defenses never do get flipped on their head is making sure conservatives don't gain any more power federally. Period. Okay, for all immunity doctrines, the burden is on the official claiming immunity to demonstrate his entitlement. Again, so this is an affirmative defense. You're saying, so he's not saying I didn't do the thing. He's saying, even if I did the thing, I would be immune from it. So then it's his responsibility to prove why he is immune from it. Just saying it isn't enough. The conservative argument would be that it's the responsibility of the government to prove why they're not immune. And that's how the conservatives would want to make the argument. That's, the con that's how conservatives would want to change the law. So that if somebody raised an immunity defense, it would be the job of the government to prove why they don't have immunity. But in this, but in this case, it's the, it should be the responsibility of the person raising an immunity defense to prove that they do. So former President Trump claims absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for all official acts undertaken as president, a category he contends that includes all of the conduct alleged in the indictment, which of course is BS, because everything that he's did in the indictment is not an official act of the president. You know, it is not the job of the president to have any role in the election of the president. Shockingly enough, states run, states run elections. So it's the responsibility of the states to make sure that the elections are run well. And then Congress counts the Electoral College and the vice president runs that process, the president plays no part. The only part that the executive branch might have is if you want to, if the Justice Department is going to come in and try and make a 14th Amendment claim that people have been denied, um, you know, equal protection under the law, that people, that people were denied their right to equal protection, that a state denied their, their, their ability to, to vote or something to that effect. But that's not what happened. That's not what's happening here. So, again, there's no role for the president here. And typically, again, the Justice Department under most presidencies tends to be a, a, a department that's run independently of the presidency, unless you're Donald Trump and you want to have a firm grip and want to control everything. Like under the Biden administration, Biden has had a hands-off approach when it comes to how the Justice Department is run which is why his son is still under indictment. If it was President Trump with Donald Trump Jr. being under indictment, do you think that Donald Trump Jr. would remain under indictment? Absolutely, the F not. 
Clearly not. Kimchi interlocutory. Thank you. Kimchi. Does this fast sound like I'm saying foreign President Trump? Maybe. If it's not, then you're right. It may be a perfectly accurate Freudian slip because, you know, he is in the pocket of Putin. <laughs> I love Putin. He's very strong. I like Putin and other strong leaders like Kim Jong-un. So the question of whether a former president enjoys absolute immunity from federal criminal liability is one of first impression. This is my first impression. Sorry. Uh, the Supreme Court has consistently held that even a sitting president is not immune from responding to criminal subpoenas issued by state and federal prosecutors, see Trump versus Vance. In the civil context, the Supreme Court has explained that a former president is absolutely immune from civil liability for his official acts, defined to include any conduct falling within the outer perimeter of his pres official responsibility. Uh, both sitting and former presidents remain civilly liable for private conduct, Clinton versus Jones. When considering the issue of presidential immunity, the Supreme Court has been careful to note in its hold that its holdings on civil liability do not carry to criminal prosecutions. Uh, Fitzgerald, see Fitzgerald explaining the lesser public interest in actions for civil damages than, for example, in criminal prosecutions. Clinton uh, at noting certain considerations at issue in criminal cases. Former President Trump's claims claimed immunity. Former President Trump's claimed immunity would have us extend the framework for presidential civil immunity to criminal cases and decide for the first time, for the first time in forever, sorry, that a former president is categorically immune from federal criminal prosecution for any act conceivably inconceivable uh, with the outer perimeter of his executive responsibility. But here's the thing. His, he has no outer perimeter responsibility at all when it comes to the election of the president. It's not even the outer perimeter. It's beyond the outer perimeter. It's so far beyond the outer perimeter that you can't even see the perimeter from where it is. The perimeter is a dot to him. Very loose friends reference if you uh, get that. Um... He advances three grounds for establishing the expansive immunity power of presidents. Article three courts lack the power to review president's official acts under the separation of powers doctrine. Functional policy considerations rooted at the separation of powers require immunity to avoid intruding on executive branch functions. And three, impeachment judgment clause does not prevent the criminal prosecution of a former president in the absence of the Congress impeaching and convicting him, which three is absolute bullshit. We've discussed why. Elizabeth, just like Trader Carlson, Putin puppets. Our analysis is guided by, guided, Guinan. I'm, now I'm thinking Star Trek. Our analysis is guided by the Constitution, federal statutes, and history, as well as concerns of public policy. Relying on these sources, we reject all three potential bases for immunity, both as a categorical defense to federal criminal prosecutions of former presidents and as applied to this case in particular. So screw you, Trump. You wrong. Screw you, Citizen Trump. A, separation of powers doctrine. President of the United States occupies a unique position in the constitutional scheme. 
The president is the only person who alone composes a branch of government. Under the separation of powers established by the Constitution, the president is vested with executive power, which entails the duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed and supervisory and policy responsibilities of utmost discretion and sensitivity. The president's constitutional role exists alongside the Congress's duty to make the laws and the the judiciary's duty to say what the law is. Marbury versus Madison, which is basically the court saying that the court has the power of doing what the court is doing right now. Uh, It is settled law that the separation of powers doctrine does not bar every exercise of jurisdiction over the president of the United States. Nick Fitzgerald, see also Nixon, separation of powers doctrine cannot sustain an absolute unqualified presidential privilege of immunity from judicial process over all circumstances. Nevertheless, former President Trump argues that the constitutional structure of separated powers means that neither a federal nor state prosecutor nor a state or federal court may sit in judgment over a president's official acts which are vested in the presidency alone. Of course, this has nothing to do with the president's official acts because, again, the president doesn't have an official capacity when it comes to, guess what, the election of the president. Hey, Wes, what's going on? Good to see you. Jeff Curry, question. If you had the ability to be invisible, would you use it for good or just be a pervert? I mean, I'm a pervert regardless. But I, I, I wouldn't use my invisibility powers to violate consent if that's what you if that's what you're asking. <laughs> Big hook, you will never know, Jeff. But no, invisibility powers, you know, still, it's, it's not a, having a power is not an excuse to violate the consent of other people. He relies on Marbury's oft-quoted statement that a president's official acts can never be examinable by the courts. Uh, former President Trump's misreads Marbury. Shocking that Donald Trump misreads something. I don't like to read. I like cartoons. I like the pictures. I don't read Playboy for the articles. Properly understood, the separation of powers doctrine may immunize lawful discretionary acts, but does not bar the federal criminal prosecution of a former president for every official act. Again, the conservatives who are complaining about this yeah, like I went on Twitter and I basically asked a bunch of several conservatives, did you read it? Did you read the ruling? I hadn't yet read the ruling. And I knew even before reading this ruling, because this is my first reading of the ruling right now. And I knew before reading this ruling that their, their representation of what the ruling says was not going to be what the ruling actually said, because they rely on ignorance and or stupidity or both when it comes to how they represent what happens, especially when it comes to citizen Trump. But they're saying that this court is saying that the president has no immunity whatsoever. That's not true. They're saying that there, there may be immunity from lawful discretionary acts, but that that doesn't mean that there is immunity from all official acts. Plus, there's also no immunity from acts that are not official acts, from actions that have nothing to do with your office. Marbury distinguished between two types of official acts, discretionary and ministerial. 
To the first category, Chief Justice Marshall recognized the president is invested with certain important political powers in the exercise of which he is to use his own discretion and is accountable only to his country and to his political character and to his own conscience. When the president or his appointed officers exercise discretionary authority, the subjects are political and the decision of the executive is conclusive. Their discretionary acts, therefore, can never be examined by the courts. But, there's always a big but, Chief Marshall continued, because they never take things in the context in which they're given, when the legislature proceeds to impose on that officer, on that officer, keyword here, other duties, when he is directed to preemptorily to perform certain acts, when the rights of individuals are dependent on the performance of those acts, he is so far the officer of the law, is amenable to the laws for his conduct, and cannot at his discretion sport away the vested rights of others. Remember, notice, he says, it says officer. Part of their arguments is that he is not an officer. So therefore, he, in, in the whole, can he be removed from the, can he be removed from the, the Colorado uh, ballot and or any other ballots? And that's going to be heard tomorrow, which if I don't do a Mardi Gras parade tomorrow, uh, Friday, it's very well possible that, I, that even though I'm not going to be here next week. It's very well possible that if I don't do a Mardi Gras parade on Friday night, I may very well have a special episode of Liberal Day and Radio if there is enough audio to go over from the hearings of the Supreme Court tomorrow. So just keep that in mind because I may very well want to do a special show Friday to cover the oral arguments made about Colorado because the arguments made by Trump in that case, is that he's not an officer. But twice so far here, he is clearly referred to as an officer. And it's not just here, but it's in Marbury versus, versus Madison, where Justice Marshall refers to the president as an officer. So if he's an officer, according to the founding fathers, guess what? He's an officer. So therefore, the prohibition of not doing an insurrection applies to the president too and not just congress people under these circumstances an executive officer acts as a ministerial officer compelable to do his duty and if he refuses is liable to indictment it is not consistent with the policy of our political institutions or the manners of the citizens of the united states that any ministerial officer having public duties to perform should be above the compulsion of law in the exercise of those duties Based on those principles, Chief Justice Marshall concluded that although discretionary acts are only politically examinable, the judiciary has the power to hear cases where a specific duty is assigned by law. Marbury thus makes clear that Article III courts may review certain kinds of official acts, including those that are legal in nature. So basically, if, if something is just a political act, then yeah, it's up to the voters to decide yay or nay. And if he can't be elected, well, oh, well. But if, if it's not a political act, if it's an issue of law that he's violating, then the courts can intervene and they can step in. And if he violates somebody's rights, then the courts, after he, after he stops being president, can be like, guilty. Hey, Nerd Misha, good to see you.
Oh, I've missed a troll? Well, that's a darn shame. Oh, well. That's what mods are for. What's up? Say hi. Good to see you. Hey, Chris. Good to see you as well. Wundermom. See, the case of Solomon Marbury confirmed we, we may review President's actions. We can skip over that. Mississippi versus Johnson. The Supreme Court considered whether Mississippi could sue President Johnson to enjoin him from enforcing Reconstruction Acts. The court concluded that it lacked jurisdiction to issue an injunction. Relying on Marbury, Kendall said, and the distinction there was mere ministerial duties was nothing left to discretion, purely executive and political duties involving the president's discretion, blah, blah, blah. Supreme Court exercised its cognizance over presidential action to dramatic effect in 1952 when it held that Harry Truman executive order seizing control of most of the country's steel mill exceeded his constitutional and statutory authority and therefore was invalid. Congress had not legislated to authorize President Truman's seizure and in fact had refused to adopt the seizure method of settling labor disputes, uh, President Truman could lawfully act to execute Congress's order. Hell, look at what happened with Biden. If, if you can't review presidential actions, then Biden should have clearly have been able to forgive the ten dollars to $20,000 worth of student loans, right? If you can't review presidential actions, then Biden should have been able to forgive those ten dollars to $20,000 in loans. Done. But he wasn't. The Supreme Court reviewed it and said, nope, sorry, can't do it. So clearly, presidential actions are subject to review by the Supreme Court, even though in that case, the Supreme Court clearly acted in an activist conservative way because uh, the Supreme Court was not acting correctly in that issue. Let's see if they actually get there. Um, I don't know if they actually get there or not, but... See, objection may be made that Marbury and his progeny exercise jurisdiction only subordinate offers, not the president himself. The written Marbury was brought against the secretary of state in Little against the commander of a ship of war, in Kendall against the postmaster general, in Youngstown against secretary of commerce. But as the Supreme Court has unequivocally explained, no man in this country is so high that he is above the law. No officer of the law may set that law at defiance with impunity. All of the officers of government from the highest to the lowest are creatures of the law and are bound to obey it. It is the only supreme power in our system of government and every man who is by accepting office participates in its functions is only the more strongly bound to submit to that supremacy and to observe limitations which it imposes upon the exercise of the authority which it gives. I hate how they worded things back in the day. So needlessly wordy, but still it makes the point. United States versus Lee, 1882, that principle applies, of course, to the president. Further, the Supreme Court has repeatedly affirmed judiciary's power to direct appropriate process to the president himself. Hey, we got another house box raid. Look at that. Thank you, house box and the fellow raiders. We appreciate you. Of course, we don't have the graphics on this page. We can jump back to the uh, to the regular scene if anybody else manages to come in. But thanks everybody for joining us. We, if if, you, if you're just joining us, we are doing a review of the immunity ruling of uh, uh, Donald Trump's uh, claims that he is immune, and the Supreme Court basically saying, "No, you're not. Your arguments are stupid. 
the arguments of your lawyers are stupid and we don't like you. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we've been going over that. Uh, we've been going over how we, we hit the point where they're basically talking about Marbury versus Madison and how basically this, the, in Marbury versus Madison, uh, they, they refer to uh, the presidency as an off, the president as an officer, which completely goes against the arguments made in the Colorado case, where they're arguing that Trump is not an officer, therefore you can't use the insurrection clause against him, but they're using the argument that he is an officer repeatedly, and I hope it's purposely, because that's, if so, that's petty as fuck, and I love it. Um, but B, they're also uh, using the uh, they're also using the argument, uh, basically that all of his arguments that are made by um, his legal team are just full of crap. But I've also talked about on the channel before, and I've brought up again just to kind of give a quick review uh, that Donald Trump's legal team has made two separate and completely diametrically opposed arguments. A, that Donald Trump can't be brought up on charges and convicted unless he was in, con, um, impeached and convicted on those charges in Congress. But B, they're saying that because he wasn't in, because he was impeached and not convicted, that double jeopardy implies, and therefore you can't convict him here. But if double jeopardy implies because he was impeached and not convicted, double jeopardy would also imply if he was impeached and convicted. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say that double jeopardy would apply, but he has to be impeached and convicted in order for him to be now convicted here too. So it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but it's Donald Trump's legal team. But these are this, probably the same people that Donald Trump's going to bring aboard if he becomes president of the United States, which is yet another reason why we cannot allow him to become president of the United States because these are the legal theories that he's going to continue to continue to use to push his mind-numbingly stupid arguments and his horrible, horrific plans for this country. Donna, he is just trying to say out of an orange jumpsuit. Yes, exactly. And if you saw my fat man rant that I posted earlier, that went live earlier, actually, it went live around midnight-ish for those who are members of Liberal Dan. If you're Liberal Dan, if you're Liberal Danimal or above on YouTube, it went live for you early in the morning. If you're not, it went live for you around nine o'clock in the morning. Um, but yeah, basically, I went over the fact that you know there are people out there who really believe that what Donald Trump has to say on things like there was an MSNBC thing and we played the, we played the clip last show. I did a live fat man rant on it. And I basically took that fat man rant and uploaded it as a separate video, just so people could share that specifically. Anyway, it's after nine. So let's do a show reset before we continue on with the review of the uh, immunity uh, ruling by the DC court of appeals this is liberal Dan radio talk from left. That's right. Uh, live Mondays and Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on twitch.tv slash liberaldanradio or liberaldanradio.com, which is the link that brings you to YouTube. Um, if you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, uh, please join us on the other two uh, places because I am not monitoring that chat. Um, you could, of course, um, at some point later, if you want to, you can call in. But at this point, I'm not really monitoring the phone lines either. So there's that. 
uh, unfortunately, you know, I can't really look at the phone lines and uh, and look at that because I only have so many screens. So it is what it is. Thank you, Donald. Um, so join us in either of the chat rooms, either on Twitch or on YouTube, to help the show. Follow on Twitch, subscribe on YouTube. That's free. If you have Amazon Prime, uh, you can subscribe for free on Twitch. Doesn't cost you a dime. Mark P. did that earlier today. Thank you again, Mark P., for doing so. Thank you for everybody else who is a subscriber to the Twitch channel. Uh, you can become a liberal animal on YouTube as well. You can purchase subscriptions on Twitch or memberships on YouTube. You can put bits. You can, you can, you can buy bits and uh, put bits on the channel on Twitch. You can um, do super chats and super stickers on YouTube. Uh, that's other ways to support the show. You can Venmo, Liberal Dan. You can buy me a cider, um, buymeacoffee.com slash liberaldanradio, or go to liberaldan.com, click the buy me a cider button, or you can become a Liberal Dan Radio patron as little as $5 a month. I like to support the show. You get early access to some of the bits. You get uh, to vote on certain things that I want uh, the want the patrons opinions on uh to see i have one up there still that asks whether or not you want to see a particular guest on the show or not um and i'm still making that decision but i'm wanting i'm seeking the input of the people there patreon.com slash liberal dan or patreon.liberaldan.com either way gets you there so that's and then when i'm you know when i'm not live you can always watch other videos get the video get the hours up uh, like videos, comment on videos, share videos, get those algorithms going. I'm trying to get above 4,000 hours viewed for the last year, and I'm trying to get to 1,000 subs so I can hit the second level of partners so I can get ad revenue on top of the Super Chats and Super Stickers on YouTube. I already do get the ad revenue and all the other benefits for being an affiliate on Twitch, um, which we did in under a month. So I appreciate everybody, again, who helped out with that. I appreciate everybody who helped me hit partner on YouTube. Um, Y'all are awesome, great, and wonderful for doing all of that. And I appreciate every single one of you for all the help that you've done. I also appreciate, again, as always, Hal, um, because if it wasn't for Hal Sparks and the Sparklers, we would not be here where we are today. So y'all are awesome. I'm glad to be a sparkler uh, with along with y'all. And I appreciate it a whole bunch. Yeah, did I say Supreme Court? Unfortunately, I, I, did I miss uh, misstate something? Yeah, I missed. I guess I misstated Supreme Court instead of DC Court of Appeals. Um, but in in the DC Court of Appeal ruling, they do mention the Supreme Court, and they do there is mention of the Supreme Court ruling. So that, that may be why I mentioned the Supreme Court is because in the ruling pertaining to uh, Trump's, um, in the ruling pertaining to Trump's, deni the denial of Trump's immunity claims, the DC Court of Appeals referred to several Supreme Court rulings, which clearly state, A, that Trump is an officer of the, that the president is an officer of, of the United States, and B, uh, that, that, actions taken by the president are clearly reviewable um, in many specific circumstances. Although there are cases where there are not reviewable cases, um, and those cases are described in some of the words that we just talked about, um, which is why the people on Twitter and everyone else who have their panties in a bunch about Donald Trump, you know, not being immune at all, 
they're just dumb. It shows they haven't they either haven't read the ruling, they don't understand the ruling, or maybe they have read and they understand it and don't care and just want to mislead the poorly educated who Donald Trump said he loved after the 2016 Nevada primary, and he still continues to love to this day. Um, hey, Benny Loco, thank you so much for joining. I'm I am I am where I am where I am today because I've been here 16 years. Thanks, Al. Thank you, Benny Loco, for being here as well. Thank you. And you did a Benny Loco did a super chat towards the end of last last show, so appreciate you for that as well. Appreciate everyone for the super chats and everything else and everyone else for the, all of their support, uh, both financial and non. Everything helps. Um, Tim, big test for the Supreme Court and whether Trump owns them coming up. Uh, it's very well possible that the Supreme Court in this particular case could say no. They say uh, there, there is an argument to be made that the Supreme Court in this case will be like, you know what? There's no reason for us to take it. The uh, D.C. Court of Appeals made a compelling argument. There's nothing else for us to add. But they are an activist conservative Supreme Court, three of whom are clearly in Trump's pocket, two of whom are, you know, Alito and Thomas have, you know, at least Thomas is definitely in Trump's pocket because of his wife. Um, Alito is just horrible. And so it could be 5-4. Yeah, we'll take it. But who knows? They could just say no. They could sit on it for a while, like they sat on Dobbs v. Jackson for a while before eventually taking it up. They could stall. And if they stall it, you know, that could effectively just kill it because they could stall on it. They could sit on it and wait a while and then say, okay, well, we're not really going to take it, but that could just then make the March 4th date go away. I mean, the March 4th date is probably not realistic at this point anyway, but they could make that, you know, push it back toward what, August. Then you have to wait. Then if you have it, if you started in August, then you, can you really finish it by the presidential election? Who knows? So them just delaying it could be enough to help out Herr Fuhrer um, to help him, you know, with what he needs them to do. But it's very well possible that they say, no, we're not going to take this appeal. Uh, let, we're, we're just going to let the ruling of the D.C. Court of Appeal stand, and then it could continue on with, with that going on. So who knows? We will find out soon enough, hopefully, what the Supreme Court will do if they will shit or get off the pot, so to speak. Um, but then, of course, we have to deal with all the other ones. Um, of course, the argument is if, if, he, if it was ruled that he does have immunity, if the D.C. Court of Appeals ruled that he had immunity, then that would be appealed to the Supreme Court in which they would have to decide it. Um, but there was, seemed to be no question here under the D.C. Court of Appeals that he, that, uh, on the question, they clearly say he doesn't have immunity, and we'll continue on with the reading of it in a second, um, pushing it to the Supreme Court to make that decision if they want to go ahead and overturn it or not. Um, I, so it, it would really be difficult, I think, if, if, especially for Roberts. Roberts wants the Supreme Court to be taken seriously, and they can't be taken seriously with a lot of the stuff that they have done, especially with Dobbs v. Jackson. And so if, they, if he doesn't want the image to be tarnished anymore, it would be very hard for him to take this case. It would be best for him to say that D.C. Court of Appeals got it right. We're not taking the case. That ruling stands. Trump's not immune. Let the case continue. And let the case stand on its own merits. But he's just Roberts, and there are five other conservatives on the court who might have another opinion on the matter. 
I'm not holding my breath if they'll do the right thing. Although, by right thing, I mean correct thing. Uh, they may very well do the right thing, i.e. the conservative thing. So, let's go back to the ruling. Um, separation of powers doctrine, as expounded in Marbury and its progeny, necessarily permits the judiciary to oversee federal prosecution of a former president for his official acts because the fact of the prosecution means that the former president has allegedly acted in defiance of Congress's laws. Although certain discretionary actions may be insulated from judicial review, the structure of the Constitution mandates that the president is amenable to the laws for his conduct and cannot at his discretion violate them. Marbury. Again, Supreme Court precedent. Now, that's Supreme Court precedent. Will this court violate their pledge to uphold stare decisis like they did in Dobbs v. Jackson? Sure. They could absolutely take the case and overturn parts of Marbury versus Madison, which would be odd because if the Supreme Court overturned parts of Marbury versus Madison, they would overturn their rights of judicial review, which would then lead to crossing of the streams in Ghostbusters parlance, or if you happen to see your future self in Back to the Future, uh, causing a major cataclysmic event um, of, of universes colliding, or you might just pass out. I don't know. But it, it would seem to be very difficult for the Supreme Court to overturn part of the ruling that gives itself the power to review what it's reviewing. It would be quite paradoxical. So I don't know if they would be able to do that. I don't know how you would logically make that pretzel twist, so to speak. <clears throat> right. As Elizabeth said in the chat, I wasn't looking at it, but as Elizabeth said in the chat, they will relinquish their own power if they do not uphold the ruling. Exactly. Our conclusion that separation of powers doctrine does not immunize former presidents from federal criminal liability is reinforced by the analogous immunity doctrines for legislators and judges. Legislators and judges are absolutely immune from civil suits for any official conduct and legislators have an explicit constitutional immunity from criminal prosecution arising from the speech and debate clause. Nevertheless, legislators and justices can be criminally prosecuted under generally applicable laws for their official acts consistent with the separation of powers doctrine. Legislators have explicit constitutional immunity from criminal or civil liability for what they do or say in legislative proceedings under the speech or debate clause. Uh, but outside the constitutionally protective legislative conduct, Members of the Congress perform a wide range of acts in their official capacity that are not legislative in nature, and so can subject them to criminal liability. Like, you know, Menendez. <laughs> Menendez. I'll point to one of our own, although I don't want, really want to claim him as one of our own. Senator Menendez. United States v. Johnson, a congressman, was criminally charged with conspiring to pressure the Department of Justice to dismiss pending indictments of a loan company and its officers on mail fraud charges. Supreme Court held that prosecution could not include evidence related to a speech made by Johnson on the House floor because of his constitutional immunity, but the court made clear Johnson could be retried on the same count, wholly purged of elements offensive to the speech or debate clause. Although his unprotected conduct constituted an official act under Fitzgerald, it was constrained by and is subject to a criminal statute of general application. 
judges are similarly liable for criminal laws for their official acts. Notable example is ex parte Commonwealth of Virginia, which the Supreme Court applied Marbury's discretionary ministerial distinction to affirm the criminal indictment of a judge based on an official act. Judge County judge was indicted in federal court for violating a federal statute that prohibited, prohibited discriminate, discriminating on the basis of race in jury selection. Supreme Court began by observing the principle that officers are bound to follow the law. We do not perceive how holding an office under a state and claiming to act for the state can relieve the holder from obligation to obey the Constitution or to take away power of Congress to punish his disobedience. So there you go. We can skip over some of that because that's, you know, I don't think we need to go more into that. Um, do, 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 do. We'll skip over that some more. Skip over that. I think it's basically repeating the same thing over and over and over again. So lots more examples of that. No need to beat the dead horse, although they're going to beat the dead horse because they need to give many, many examples of why their rights to to just, you know, add the second coat of paint, add another bunch of spackle, add some more glue, put another extra nail or fastener in it to make sure that, that the argument being made is so well sealed that nobody can pull it apart. Uh, functional policy considerations, even though it is proper under Marbury and his progeny uh, for an Article III court to hear criminal charges brought against the former president, we necessarily must weigh concerns of public policy, especially as limited by our history and structure of our government, including our constitutional heritage and structure. Uh, Inquiry involves policies and principles that may be considered implicit in the nature of the president's office in a system structured to achieve effective government under a constitutionally mandated separation of powers. Our our analysis entails balancing the constitutional weight of the interest to be served against the dangers of intrusion onto the authority of the executive branch. We note at the outset that our analysis is specific to the case before us in which a former president has been indicted on a federal criminal charges arising from his alleged conspiracy to overturn election results and unlawfully overstay his presidential term. We consider the policy concerns at issue in this case in two respects. Firstly, assess possible intrusions on the authority and functions of the executive branch and the countervailing interest to be served to, as those concerns apply to former President Trump's claim that former presidents are categorically immune from federal prosecution. We conclude that the interest in criminal accountability held by both the public and executive branch outweighs the potential risks of chilling presidential action and permitting vexatious litigation. Second, we examine the additional interest raised by the nature of the charges of the indictment, the executive branch's interest in upholding presidential elections and vesting power in a new president under the Constitution, and the voters' interest in democratically selecting the president. Well, they really don't because we have the Electoral College, and the Electoral College is stupid. Uh, we find these interests compel the conclusion that former President Trump is not immune from prosecution under the indictment. So, Chris. Or just have SEAL Team Sith pay. I'm really sci-fi today. I said Guinan earlier instead of what guidelines or whatever. I just said SEAL Team Sith instead of SEAL Team Six. I'm just completely nerding out today. Um, Dan used spackle in a sentence. Yes, I did. Um, it is in their own best interest to, to not have Trump be president again. Then I know it. I mean. Maybe they know it, but the problem is, is that they might be afraid of maggots, of maggots. They might be afraid of the maggot idiots, and that's a problem. 
So, Robin, I can spackle with spackle. How many to speculate on that? See, categorical immunity defense, um, President, former President Trump, I, they should call him Citizen Trump more often. I mean, I thought they would be calling him Citizen Trump more often in this in this ruling. I'm, I'm quite disappointed that they're not referring to him as Citizen Trump throughout the entirety of this and not just at the beginning. If they would have referred to him as Citizen Trump through the entirety of this, I would have been, it would have been much better. But I guess they weren't going to be that petty. Citizen Trump argues that criminal liability for former presidents risks chilling presidential action while in office. These risks do not overcome the public interest in a fair and accurate judicial proceeding, which is in its height in the criminal setting. Former President Trump first asserts the prospect of potential post-presidency criminal liability would inhibit a sitting president's ability to act fearlessly and impartially as if Donald Trump is fearless or impartial. Donald Trump is neither of those things. He is completely fearful and he is not impartial. He is fully partial. I am fully partial. I, I, I am very partial. No part. See, any Sparxists in the chat? We are a bunch of Sparxists. We're probably all Sparxists, uh, DB. Um, let's see. The chance that now that there may be found some timid soul who will take counsel of his fears and give way to repressive power is too remote and shadowy to shape the course of justice. Clark v. United States. In Clark, the Supreme Court dismissed the threat of a chilling effect, holding that jurors could be subject to a criminal prosecution for conduct during the jury service, and explaining that a juror of integrity and reasonable firmness will not fear to speak his mind if the confidence of debate are barred to the ears of a mere impertinence or malice. Rather, the court observed he will not expect to be shielded against uh, disclosure of his conduct in the event that there is evidence reflecting upon his honor. The court reinforced the point in U.S. v. Nixon, holding that it could not conclude that presidential advisors will be moved to temper the candor of their remarks by the infrequent occasions of disclosure because of the possibility that such conversations will be called for in the context of a criminal prosecution. So to hear, we cannot presume that a president will be unduly cowed by the prospect of post-presidency criminal liability any more than a juror would be influenced by the prospect of a post-deliberation criminal liability or an executive aide would be quieted by the prospect of the disclosure of communications in a criminal prosecution. Basically, in short, uh, the idea that Trump is basically saying that presidents have to be able to do what they want to do out of because they're, they're, they'll be afraid that they might be uh, criminally prosecuted for what they do. If they, if, and basically the court saying... Uh, most presidents don't do things that make them fear that they might be criminally prosecuted. Deal with it. Welcome back, Professor Funbags. Good to see you again um, over in uh, over in the Twitch chat. Um, Elizabeth, indeed, same immunity would be conferred on Biden, which is funny. I mean, for those who may have missed it, let me just go ahead and replay. Oh, there's Khalil. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll take a break for a second and, and get to Khalil because Khalil's been on hold for not too long. But before we get to Khalil, let's just play the hypocrite of the week again uh, because, you know, this week's hypocrite of the week is Donald Trump. Citizen Trump claims that he should be immune from anything he did while president. Full immunity. That is the basis of his criminal defense. Citizen Trump says that when he becomes president, he will direct his Justice Department to prosecute President Biden for things he's done while president. 
But not only is Citizen Trump a hypocrite, he is mind-numbingly stupid. To see who the Liberal Dan Radio Hypocrite of the Week is, tune in every Monday and Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central at LiberalDanRadio.com and now Twitch.tv slash LiberalDanRadio for more talk from the left. That's right. All right, let's briefly head to I, – I didn't have the uh, soundboard on, uh, so we are going to uh, move over to Khalil real quick just to get to him, and then we'll come back. Uh, to the uh, discussion at hand, which is the uh, topic of Trump's uh, citizen Trump's non-immunity. How are you doing, Khalil? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Uh, what's going? I'm hanging in there. We're just having a, a reading of the immunity thing, but I saw that you were on, so um, hopefully we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll get back to that in a second. But I did want to check in with you and see how you were doing. Didn't want to have to make Pretty you wait good. for too long. Yeah. Um, also, I uh, one of the ideas I had is um, basically um, an idea for ammo that was less dangerous than your, our or uh, modern ammo. You know, mm-hmm. ammo where bullets would hit if bullets didn't go to if it was if people were constantly rapid firing, if a bullet didn't hit didn't hit the intended target, which which was the bad guy that police used then they would just hit each other and dissipate. It's another good idea about gun violence. Say that again. I don't think I completely understood it. <laughs> like, let's say let's say a police officer or soldier is shooting their firearm rapid-firely, and um, uh-huh. it doesn't hit the bad guy. Let's right. say it, they hit each other. The bullets hit each other in a row, and then they dissipate and turn into uh, gunpowder. That way, no one innocent gets hit. That's an interesting thought. I don't, I don't know how how possible that would be physics wise or mechanical wise, but I mean, it would be basically trying to try ensure that you're only hitting the target that you want to hit and nothing else. Yep. All right. And I mean, there's a do they hit each- there's a gun like that in Fortnite, but <laughs> I mean, they don't hit each other, but it only hits the target that you're trying to hit and nothing else. But I don't know if yeah. we could get that in real life, but. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff in the chat, like, I got an idea of paintball. I mean, they do have non-lethal projectiles that they can use. For example, the, the police have shotguns that shoot things like beanbags instead of full-on yeah. bullets that they could potentially use uh, to try and incapacitate people or whatever. Um, you know. Yeah. There are plenty of different ways that we could make sure that uh, police violence doesn't work to harm more people there's many things that we could do to make sure that other people don't uh whatchamacallit other people don't uh you know get their hands on harm that harm is not caused to third parties but i mean thinking outside the box is always encouraged by me and that's why i like your your guns your guns to guardrails idea because that is definitely a good thinking outside the box uh way to go um, have you had any Thank luck you. reaching out to the um, to the groups about getting something together, or is it still no, not still yet? Because I was I, I I told the guy that was running I was kind of mad with him because I called him, and he um like I never got a chance to go to the state capitol, so uh-huh. he um basically I left a few messages and he never called me back, uh-huh. so I'm still kind of perturbed with him for a while. But, um, Unfortunately, yeah, I, I, once, I once went to a, candid, a, a, a seminar ran by somebody locally, and they were talking about like how, 
how to be a, a, a candidate and what to do as a candidate and how to, how to coordinate the bill. Unfortunately, uh, there are some people, some people's way of thinking is that uh, th- you're less likely to get to uh, get somebody who's a politician to talk to you. Um, if, if, if you're less likely to get them to talk to you, if you're not making political contributions to them. Um, of course, those type of politicians in my mind are not good people. Um, I've, I've not made political contributions to the people who I've had, I've had on my shows for the most part, um, and they've still come on my show. But, so, but maybe we need more of those type of people and less of the type of people who won't talk to you unless you give them a campaign contribution, i.e. a bribe. But if you're annoyed with somebody, why are you going to give them a campaign contribution? So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even want him taking my picture for a while. Right. But I got to get ready to go. Um, my mom's calling me. Thank you. All right, man. Well, well, thank you so much for calling in again. Um, I'm going to be off next week. I'll be, I'm, I'm going to be on a ship, cruise ship, so I'll be enjoying myself and having a few adult beverages. But I will definitely talk to you in a week and a half when I'm back. Um, but uh, you have a good, good, have a good weekend, and I'll talk to you in a few. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, friend of the show, Khalil, everybody. Um, always like to have him call in. He supports the show regularly with calls. And uh, again, one of his ideas that he's promoted, which, which I think is, you know, people, when people have, when they have these gun buyback programs, he wants to do something that's called like uh, guns to guardrails, where you melt down guns and include them in the guardrails to protect people from more like traffic accidents or whatever. And I think it's, you know, it's not necessarily a forced gun thing, forced gun seizure, but it's, you know, when people do return their guns, instead of having them go back into circulation, you're melting them back down and you're turning it into something that can protect people in another way. And I think it's a good symbolic thing in nature. I think, I think it's a good idea. I think more people would, uh, would, would probably get involved with it if he could get the word out. But I'm trying my best to, to give him as much of a push as I could. But, you know, can't do it myself. Um, he can't do it himself. Hopefully he gets the help. Um, whatever. Let's see. DB Golding, I hope SCOTUS sides with Trump. Biden could then deport all of the maggots to Russia. <laughs> I guess there would be nothing that, there would be nothing for that anybody could do at that point, right? If if you can't if you can't do anything to and, and re, if you can't review anything when it comes to uh to review the power of the presidency and then yeah, Biden could do anything he wants. But then he could just say, all right, we're going to round up all the, all the MAGA folks and send them off to Siberia, let them be Putin's problem. Right. I mean, technically that's would be okay. According to Trump's legal theories. <sighs> My straw is not doing very well. I think I may just have to remove the top because it's not, I'm not getting very good suckage or suction, if you will, from my straw. So suckage is a good word to use. Uh, Anywho, let's go back to the um, thing. Let's see, more of our past presidents have understood themselves to be subject to impeachment and criminal liability, at least under certain circumstances. Even former President Trump concedes that criminal prosecution of a former president 
is expressly authorized by the impeachment judgment clause after impeachment and conviction. We presume that every president is aware of the impeachment judgment clause and knows that he is liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to the law, at least after impeachment and conviction. Additionally, recent historical evidence suggests that former presidents, including Trump, have not believed themselves to be wholly immune from criminal liability. President Ford issued a full pardon to President Nixon, which both former presidents evidently believed was necessary to avoid Nixon's post-resignation indictment. Good point. Before leaving office, President Bill Clinton agreed to a five-year suspension of his law license and a $25,000 fine in exchange for independent counsel Robert Ray's agreement to not file criminal charges against him. And during President Trump's 2021 impeachment proceedings for indictment, incitement of resurrection, his counsel argued that instead of post-presidency impeachment, the appropriate vehicle for investigation, prosecution, and punishment is the Article Three courts. We have a judicial process, an investigative process, which no former office holder is immune. So Trump's legal teams can't even agree with each other. But then again, Trump doesn't even pay his legal team half the time, right? So there you go. Oh, <laughs> Elizabeth, uh, suckers or suction on the same. Uh, neither was Bobert's date. LOL. <laughs> Wait, why is civil forfeiture coming up? Um, civil forfeiture laws are abused. You can thank Bush for that with the Patriot Act overreach. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't agree with civil forfeiture at all. Um, instead of inhibiting the president's lawful discretionary action, the prospect of criminal, criminal, federal criminal liability might serve as a structural benefit to deter possible abuses of power and criminal behavior where an official could be expected to know that certain conduct would violate statutory or constitutional rights he should be made to hesitate, Harlow versus Fitzgerald. As the district court observed, every president will face difficult decisions whether to intentionally commit a federal crime should not be one of them. Former President Trump next urges that a lack of criminal immunity will subject future presidents to politically motivated prosecutions as soon as they leave office. Although Donald Trump is already saying that he's going to criminally go after Joe Biden, which is a political, politically motivated prosecution. Uh, <laughs> again, hypocrisy is a conservative prerequisite. Uh, the decision to initiate a federal prosecution is committed to the prosecutorial discretion of the executive branch. Prosecutors have ethical obligations not to initiate unfounded prosecutions, and courts presume that they properly discharge their official duties. There are additional safeguards in place to prevent baseless indictments, including the right to be charged by a grand jury upon a finding of probable cause. Grand juries are prohibited from engaging in arbitrary fishing expeditions and initiating investigations out of malice or an intent to harass. Additionally, former President Trump's predictive judgment of a torrent of politically motivated prosecutions finds little support in either history or relatively narrow compass of issues raised in this particular case. Former President Trump acknowledges that this is the first time since the founding that a former president has been federally indicted. Weighting these factors, we conclude that the risk that former presidents will be unduly harassed by meritless federal prosecutions appears slight. On the other side of the scale, we must consider the constitutional weight of the interest to be served by allowing the prosecution of a former president to proceed. The public has a fundamental interest in the enforcement of criminal laws. Our historic commitment to the rule of law is nowhere more profoundly manifest than our view that the twofold aim of criminal justice is that guilt shall not escape nor innocence suffer. 
as the Nixon court explained, wholly immunizing the president from criminal justice uh, process would disturb the primary constitutional duty, uh, yada, yada, yada. There is also profound Article II interest in the enforcement of federal criminal laws. The president has a constitutionally mandated duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. As part of his duty, the president is responsible for investigating and prosecuting criminal violations. Uh, governmental investigation and prosecution of crimes is quintessentially executive function. Beyond simply making explicit that the president must enforce the law, the take care clause plays a central role in signifying the principle that ours is a government of laws, not of men, and that we submit ourselves to rulers only under rules. It would be a striking paradox if the president, who alone is vested with the constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, were the sole officer capable of defying those laws with impunity. Duh. Federal prosecution of a former president fits the case when judicial action is needed to serve the broad public interest. In order to vindicate the public interest in an ongoing criminal prosecution, the risks of chilling presidential action or permitting meritless harassing prosecutions are unlikely, unsupported by history, and too remote or shadowy to shape the course of justice. We therefore conclude that functional, functional policy considerations rooted in the structure of a government do not immunize former presidents from federal criminal prosecution. Duh. To, to say to use you know simple words <laughs> wonder mom waterboard him in gitmo sounds good sinful solutions it's hard to keep up with whose trump lawyers actually are for which different case at what time i mean probably because he, he can't pay all of them or he doesn't pay all of them i don't understand why you would ever why why would anybody ever decide to be a lawyer for Trump? At least you, if, if you're going to be a lawyer for Trump, I would, I would demand a very, very, very high retainer. I think some of the evidence has shown that a lot of the money, that a lot of money has been paid by Trump to attorneys, probably ahead of time because these attorneys know Donald Trump hasn't paid a lot of people money that he owes, not even the people that, you know, have successfully sued him, but people who, you know, have, done work for him in the past, be they attorneys, be they other people, and he's just decided, well, I'm not going to pay you now. Sue me for the money that I owe you, and we'll drag it out in court because he has other attorneys that will work for him. But now, how often, how likely is that if you have an attorney suing you over failure to pay, how many attorneys are going to take the case of defending you for failure to pay an attorney unless you pay that attorney up front? So it becomes a losing proposition on behalf of Trump, unless you can fool a bunch of nitwits to pay the court fees for you or to pay the attorney fees for you, which is basically what he does. He sends out that mass mail saying, I need your help, pay money, and all these rubes pay $5 a person or more to help Donald Trump pay his legal fees. It's like the idiots who paid $200 super chats to the whatever podcast. To just to get their little post up about, you know, criticizing women for being, you know, whatever they feel the women are being. No decent lawyer is game enough to touch him with a barge pole regardless of the money promised. Well, you know, that's why he got Haba, right? Because she's not a decent lawyer. I liked, uh, there was, a, was Colbert the other day. Uh, she was cited, like, she was asked if she would rather be pretty or smart 
And she said she would rather be pretty because you can fake being smart. And Colbert was like, no, you can't. Other people may be able to, but you can't. It was hilarious. Exactly. Buy my NFT of me looking muscular. I'm going to have so many NFTs of me that it's going to be NF terrific. Um, so Chris, he was one of those kids who denies eating the chocolate cake, then have a face covered in chocolate. Can you imagine like Do Donald Trump is Augustus Gloop from Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Just, you know, he's like, well, eat the cake. Just face completely covered in chocolate yeah i could just, just but it's just an orange face instead of the augustus gloop face but i mean they're both german right so robin m i still don't believe jeffrey epstein committed suicide in his prison cell you and me both um i think that there are many many people who who, who where epstein knew where the bodies were buried and therefore he was not going he he was probably not going to go silently and as such uh they knew that he needed to be taken care of, and he got taken care of. It's the one thing that maybe liberals and conservatives agree on the most is that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Um, uh, Donna, he has broke the RNC. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the RNC after the South Carolina primary because uh, Ronna McDaniel is basically – Ronna Romney McDaniel is basically arguing – that uh, that she's going to maintain power at least until through South Carolina's primary, and then you'll see what goes from there. Trump apparently doesn't want her to be in charge anymore. Um, he wants somebody like the head of the Republican Party from North Carolina to be in charge uh, because that person is not a never-Trumper. That person is not connected to Mitt Romney. That person is an election denier, or a, I'm sorry, a stop-the-steal guy. So, <laughs> Jeff Curry, if I got Trump Tower, I would not take his name up. I would just put used to be above. I don't know. If I got Trump, if I had Trump Tower, I would just lease it out to Spirit Halloween. <laughs> just, just make it into a Spirit Halloween store. <laughs> just for the lulls. I wouldn't even charge him much. I would just charge him just the cost to run it. Just, just for the lulls. Just here you go. Make it turn into a Spirit Halloween store just so I could say that I turned Trump Tower into a spirit Halloween store. Yes, and then turn it into low-rent housing. But let them live like, you know, let them live in Trump's apartment. And then, and then kick Trump out of his apartment. Back to the, back to the ruling. Uh, in addition to generally applicable concerns discussed, uh, Supra, the allegations of the indictment implicate the Article II interest in vesting authority in a new president and the citizenry's interest in democratically selecting its president while then get rid of the Electoral College, goddammit. Uh, the indictment alleges that the assertedly official actions at issue here were undertaken by former President Trump in furtherance of a conspiracy to unlawfully overstay his term as president and to displace his duly elected successor. That alleged conduct violated his constitutionally established design for determining the results of the presidential election, as well as the Electoral Count Act of 1887, neither of which establishes a role for a president in counting and certifying the Electoral College votes. As I said earlier, uh, the alleged conduct also violated Article 2's mandate that the president hold office during term of four years. Uh, the 12th and 20th Amendment reinforces the discrete nature of presidential term. 
yada, yada, yada. The president, of course, also has the duty to take care clause to faithfully enforce the laws. Uh, public has a strong interest in the foundational principle of our government and that the will of the people is expressed in the electoral college vote, determines who will serve as president. Uh, the electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for president and vice president, the person having the greatest number of votes be president, uh, yada, yada, yada. Supreme Court recently noted that the framers made the president the most democratic and politically accountable official in government, the only one who, along with the vice president, is elected by the entire nation, sort of. Uh, to justify the check, the president's unique authority in our constitutional structure renders the president directly accountable to the people through regular elections, as James Madison and put it. A dependence on the people is no doubt the primary control on the government. Federal, of course, you're quoting the Federalist Papers. Thus, the quadrennial presidential election is a crucial check on executive power because president, a president who adopts unpopular policies or violence law can be voted out of office. Well, you know, for the first term, not in the second term. Former President Trump's alleged efforts to remain in power despite losing the 2020 election were, if proven, an unprecedented assault on the structure of our government. He allegedly injected himself into a process in which the president has no role. The counting and certifying of the Electoral College votes, thereby, thereby undermining constitutionally established procedures and the will of the Congress uh, to immunize the former President Trump's actions would further aggrandize the presidential office already so potent and so relatively immune from judicial review at the expense of Congress. As Justice Jackson warned, uh, it's Janet, Justice Jackson, if you're nasty. Um, executive power has the advantage of concentration in a single head in whose choice the whole nation has a part, making him the focus of public hopes and expectations in drama, magnitude, no Oxford comma, and finality. His decisions so far overshadow any others that almost alone he fills the public eye and ear. No other personality in public life can begin to compete with him in access to the public mind uh, through modern methods of communication by his, by his prestige as head of state and his influence upon public opinion. He exerts leverage upon those who are supposed to check and balance his power, which often cancels their effectiveness. We cannot accept former Trump's claim that a president has unbounded authority to commit crimes that would neutralize the most fundamental check on executive power, the recognition and impl implementation of election results, nor can we sanction his apparent contention that executive has carte blanche to violate the rights of individual citizens to vote and to have their votes count? Um, at bottom, the former president Trump's stance would collapse our system and separate our powers with placing the president beyond the reach of all three branches. Presidential immunity against federal indictment would mean that as to the president, Congress could not legislate, the executive could not prosecute, and the judiciary could not review. We cannot accept that the office of the presidency places its former occupants above the law for all time thereafter. Careful evaluation of these concerns lead us to conclude that there is no functional justification for immunizing former presidents from federal prosecution in general or for immunizing former President Trump from the specific charges in the indictment. In so holding, we act not in derogation of the separation of powers, but to maintain their proper balance, C. Fitzgerald. Again, going against what, how conservatives are stating that, these, that this ruling did. Conservatives are stating that this ruling says that Trump has no immunity. It's not what this is saying. This, are, this, this ruling is saying that, um, that there is no functional justification for immunizing former presidents from federal prosecution in general. So there's no general immunization. There's no, it's, there's no blanket immunization. And there's no immunization from the specific charges in this indictment. That doesn't mean that there's no immunization period. 
there could be immunization. And, and earlier in the document, they talked about how there was immunization in some cases, and they talked about those briefly. But there's not, there's clearly not full broad spectrum immunization. Looks like I have a cat joining me soon. Um, the impeachment judgment clause, which is the dumbest argument of the Trumps. I wish, I, I, again, I haven't read this, but I wish, like, in, in part C, that the court would just say, this is the most dumb argument ever before this court, and they should be ashamed for making it. That it is both contradictory on its face, especially when considering the other arguments made, um, let's see. Let's see what they say, shall we? Because I've been saying this for weeks, or maybe even months at this point. I don't know that this argument is contradictory to the other arguments being made. So let's see if the D.C. Court of Appeals agrees with me. Hello, Rose. Everybody, say hello again to Rose, my cute little kitty. Hey, TV Two Live. Good to see you. And say hello to Rose's butt. And you're purring, purring away. That's right. Rose likes to come and get scritches every now and then, and then she'll go run away and go, I, don't bite. Why are you biting? That's not a good kitty. Now you're purring away. Yeah. You like your scritches? You like your scritches there, Rose? Yeah. I gotta take I gotta take all the cat love I can get from this cat because this cat is very, very selective of when she wants to get love and when she wants to be left alone. So I I will take a cat love break, although I don't want cat butt on my head. <laughs> cat love does not need to be cat butt on head. Thank you, cat. Thank you, Rosie Posies. You are so silly. Now, she'll go snuggle her mama all night long. She loves to snuggle her mama. I'm like, I don't understand why she won't lay up next to me and snuggle me. Sometimes, very rarely, she'll join me on, like, if I'm in my recliner downstairs, very rarely she'll come join me on the recliner and curl up on my lap and sit there for a few minutes before deciding to leave. But that's only if, like, Blanche the puppy is outside or in her cage for some reason. So... And it's very weird because a lot of the times orange cats tend to be males. So, so everyone's very shocked that we got a, a, a female orange cat. Yes, you're very purry. You're quite the purry baby. So cute. You are so cute. She's going to be without her mama and daddy and brothers for a whole week. But her grandma is going to be here taking care of them. Because she's been staying with us. Yeah. You love your Gigi? Was that try you trying to lick me or bite me? What was that? What were you trying to do? Lick or bite? Couldn't quite make that out. 
could not quite make that out. And yesterday was actually her birthday, too. Yesterday was, was Henry's birthday. Yesterday was also Rose and Gloria's birthday as well. So um, they, they share a birthday, and Henry is the cat whisperer. Now Rose is exploring. Yeah, love, love nibbles. So let's take another drink. Yeah, I'm going. I will be listening to Scotus's um, tomorrow. Not, I won't be doing it live on air, but I will listen to the arguments. But it's very well possible that I'm not going to. I won't do a show tomorrow because there's a parade tomorrow. Muses that Kathy wants to go to. Um, I don't know what the plans are for Friday. If if we don't go to a parade Friday night, and I'm able to, I may very well. And if there's enough audio to do a show about and do a response to, maybe I'll do a show on Friday night just to make up for the fact that I'm missing two next week for the cruise. But we'll see. Back to the case. Back to the argument. We're, we're 16 pages away. We've been, I think we've been pretty much doing a good job flying through this simply because of the fact that, you know, we skipped a, a bunch when, when I've kind of noticed that it's getting repetitive. Um, strongest evidence against former President Trump's claim of immunity is found in the words of the Constitution. The impeachment judgment clause provides that judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit in the United States. But the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to the law. That language limits the consequences of impeachment to removal and disqualification from office but expressly preserves the option of criminal prosecution of an impeached official according to the law. Former President Trump agrees that the impeachment judgment clause contemplates and permits the prosecution of a former president on criminal charges. He argues only that such a former president first must be impeached by the House and convicted by the Senate. Uh, in other words, he asserts that under the clause, a former president enjoys immunity for any criminal acts committed while in office unless he is first impeached and convicted by Congress. Under that theory, he claims that he is immune from prosecution because he was impeached and acquitted by taking that position. Former President Trump potentially narrows the party's dispute to whether he may face criminal charges in the case consistent with the impeachment judgment clause. If the clause requires an impeachment conviction first, he may not be prosecuted, but if it contains no such requirement, the clause presents no impediment to the prosecution. Former President Trump also implicitly concedes that there is no absolute bar to prosecuting assertively official actions. He argues elsewhere in his brief that, it, that his impeachment on the charge of inciting insurrection was based on conduct that was the same and closely related to the official acts charged in the indictment. Uh, appellate brief 46, President Trump was impeached and acquitted by the Senate for the same and closely related conduct to the alleged in the indictment. All five types of conduct alleged in the indictment constitute official acts. And he agrees that if he had been convicted by the Senate in that impeachment trial, he would not be immune from prosecution for the official acts at issue here. Thus, he concedes that a president can be prosecuted for broadly defined official acts, such as the one alleged in the indictment under some circumstances following an, i.e. following an impeachment conviction. The impeachment judges clause is focused solely on those who are convicted by the Senate following impeachment in the House. The first part of the clause limits the penalties that can be imposed. Um, the second part makes clear that the limited consequences of impeachment do not immunize convicted officers from criminal prosecution. 
the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable, subject to the indictment, blah, blah, blah. In former President Trump's view, however, the word convicted in the second phrase implicitly bestows immunity on presidents who are not convicted based on a negative implication. He asserts that the impeachment judgment clauses presupposes that a president is not criminally liable absent a conviction in the Senate. Other courts have rejected this tortured interpretation of the impeachment clause, uh, which previously has been advanced to support claims of judicial immunity. See Claiborne. Uh, according to Claiborne, this language means that a federal judge cannot be indicted and tried in an Article III court unless he has been removed from office by the impeachment process. Both Isaacs and Hastings rejected this tortured interpretation. Uh, a Hastings uh, the impeachment judgment clause does not mean that a judge may not be indicted and tried without impeachment first. Moreover, former President Trump's interpretation runs counter to the text, structure, and purpose of the impeachment judgment clause. Like, I don't even think Scalia would agree with this crazy argument. Like, I think Scalia would be like, you're a fool. If, if they brought this before Scalia, I think Scalia would even be like, you're crazy. And Scalia came up with some genius, crazy genius, mad genius rulings. I'll say genius, but like mad genius. Like some of them were like, he pulled them out of his ass sometimes, but at least they were brilliantly written as a mad genius, as opposed to Alito, who just writes dumb rulings. Uh, the force of any negative implication depends on context and applies only when circumstances support a sensible inference that the term left out must have been meant to be excluded. Finding the negative implication of a statute is a context-specific exercise. To begin, former President Trump's reliance on the negative implication is an immediate red flag the framers knew how to explicitly grant criminal immunity from the Constitution, as they did the legislators in the speech or debate clause, yet they choose not to include a similar uh, provision granting immunity to the president. Um, citing a dissenting argument in, from Justice Thomas, uh, which I find interesting because a lot of the times um, that, that's interesting. I've always wanted to, to 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 see if there was a way. Yes, you want. You're, look, this cat is forcing me to pet her. I had my hand here, and she grabbed my hand and pulled it back for me to pet her. You are so spoiled. You are such a spoiled cat. A lot of the times, I wanted to see like how many times uh, conservatives in their like in their rulings when they rule in the affirmative or like when they're part of the majority or they concur with the majority majority how many times do they cite a dissenting opinion in doing so and like i'd love to be able to have some sort of tool where you could find that where you could like search out like where you could search like all concurrences and like put in like search terms and find like every single time you've had a you know a ruling by these set of judges and where they've cited um dissents in their in their in their rulings affirming a ruling like 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 in their in their in their majority rule in their majority rulings citing dissents i've always found the citing dissents very strange but this one is very interesting what are you doing citing dissents is very strange in this particular case why because when you're citing a dissent you're citing the dissent of Justice Thomas, <coughs> who, if the Supreme Court takes this up, would then have to, um, would then be one of the people reviewing this, and would then have to be like, oh, if I, if I have to disagree with this court, 
in this particular part, I would then have to disagree with my own dissent. So it's kind of brilliant that they use Justice Thomas's own wording from his dissent to back up what they're saying here. Because again, in order for, for the majority to go against this ruling, they would have to go against Justice Thomas's own dissent in another ruling, which I find hilarious. That's absolutely hysterical. Hey, Teresa, what's going on? Good to see you. Hey, Stephen Sayers, good to see you. Um, is anybody else new? Don. I think I said hello already to Don. Um, but yeah, it's just hilarious that they're that they're citing Thomas's dissent. The text of the Constitution explicitly addresses the privileges of some federal officers, but it does not afford the president absolute immunity. Uh, the impeachment judgment clause merely states that the party convicted shall nevertheless be subject to criminal prosecution. The text says nothing about non-convicted officials. Former President Trump's reading rests on the logical fallacy. Ah, Jolie, you're awesome. Thank you so much for gifting the memberships. I appreciate you. Hey, Alarasia. Is Alarasia here? I didn't see anything about Robert Reynolds, human being. I don't know if it just gifts people. Is Andrea here too, or is it just gifting people to gifting gifts to people who are there? Hey, P Dubs. Um. See, so stating that if a president convicted can be prosecuted does not mean that if the president is not convicted, he cannot be prosecuted. Again, that's again. Logic is not something that's on the side of the maggots. You know, to, 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 to say that Trump and his supporters believe in logic is, is a stretch. To, and this, this is proof that they don't understand logical arguments at all. And this is clearly showing out. Again, and they're actually using logic. Uh, see NLRB versus Noel Canning, Scalia concurring, explaining the fallacy of the inverse, otherwise known as denying the antecedent, the correct assumption if P implies Q, then not P implies not Q. I mean, again, this is, this is why I was talking about with Scalia. Scalia will bring up stuff that's just can be very, very, like it, it comes from a basis, it came from a basis of an intelligent brain. I don't, I never often agreed with Scalia, but at least I could say that Scalia was, had an intelligent mind even though I disagreed with him a lot. His mind was still intelligent. Like, Alito is not going to have a ruling citing, uh, denying the antecedent. Alito is never going to do that. Scalia did that. So, so for, for all of Scalia's flaws, for all of Scalia's, you know, and, and I disagree, uh, sometimes Scalia made illogical arguments. Like, you know, he said, although actually, he made a, a slippery slope argument about Lawrence v. Texas, that if Lawrence v. Texas is passed, then it's soon going to lead to allowing gay marriage. Now, he was right in that Lawrence v. Texas was passed, and then we allowed gay marriage. But, I mean, it was, it was a slippery slope argument back then, and that's a logical fallacy. But, I mean, maybe he was still kind of right. But it's a good thing that it did lead to the allowing of gay marriage, even though he disagreed with it, because, you know, he's a schmuck, or he was a schmuck. I should say. Again, one of my friends on Facebook was like, if I spoke ill of if I spoke ill of the dead when they were alive, I'm still going to speak ill of the dead while they're dead. 
which, you know, I can agree with. Um, oh, P-dubs. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. That's getting pinned. Pin message. Mike Johnson got screwed so hard, his son got a notification on his phone. Hilarious. OMG. That is great. That is amazing. I love that. I love that. The only thing I'm mad at, the only thing that I'm mad about when it comes to that is that I didn't think about it first. Wow. And yeah, Steven Stairs, the, the, uh, MTG meltdown, how she was like, the Democrats played a nasty trick by allowing one of their voting members to vote because he was sick. And then he came back despite being sick, you know, from the hospital and and then he still cast a vote. How dare he vote when he's able to vote? I laughed so hard I spit my tea out. (laughs) That is great. See, another important clue is the clause's use of the word nevertheless, as the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable. Uh, The meaning of nevertheless, according to the contemporaneous 18th century dictionary, is notwithstanding that, which in turn means without hindrance or obstruction from. Uh, Samuel Johnson, a dictionary of the English language, the impeachable judgment clause contains no words that limit critical criminal liability, and to the contrary, it uses nevertheless to ensure that liability will not be limited, hindered, or obstructed, even after an official is impeached, convicted, and or removed from office. The text of the impeachment judgment clause reflects its purpose to allocate responsibility between the legislative and executive branches for holding impeached office accountable for misconduct. In 18th century Great Britain, as much as I agree with this ruling, I hate when we cite the rules of other countries to, to, to pull out my, my redneck side or whatever, because I do have half of myself that was, born, that was, you know, at least born in Georgia. We did not fight a war against Great Britain to then cite Great Britain rules. We won independence so we don't have to worry about what the hell England says or does from that point forward. <laughs> anyway. Allocate responsibility between legislative In 18th century Great Britain, impeachment could result in capital punishment, fine, and ransom imprisonment. Joseph Story, Commentaries on the Constitution of the United States. See also whether a former president may be indicted and tried for the same offenses for which he's been impeached by the House and acquitted by the Senate, noting that impeachment in Britain could have resulted in a wide array of criminal penalties, including fines, imprisonment, and even execution. The framers chose to withhold such broad power from the Senate, Specifying said that the Senate could impose only political, not extraordinary, not ordinary criminal punishments. Uh, so they tempered the power of the Senate and allowed the rest of it to be done by the courts. Which it would make sense then that Senate decides crim- political punishment, courts decide criminal punishment. It's not the Senate decides whether or not criminal punishment can happen. You dumbasses, Trump et al. Let's skip ahead. To counter the historical evidence that explains the purpose of the impeachment judge clause, former President Trump turns to one sentence 
written by Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 69. The president of the United States would be liable to be impeached, tried, and upon conviction of treason, bribery, or other harms or misdemeanors, removed from the office, would afterwards be liable for prosecution and punishment in the extraordinary course of the law. The Federalist number 69, nice, at 337, uh, Alexander Hamilton, Conference House Punishing 2015, he focuses on the word afterwards and suggests that a president is not liable to be prosecution and punishment until after he has been impeached and convicted. Uh, but we think the more significant word in the Hamilton statement is liable, which means subject to, Libel, John Ash, New and Complete Dictionary of the English Language. Hamilton specifies that a president would be subject to impeachment, trial, and conviction and removal from office and afterwards would be subject to prosecution and punishment without regard to the verdict in the impeachment proceeding. Moreover, the very next sentence of the same essay, you know, God forbid they actually take something in the context in which it's given, Hamilton stresses that the president must be unlike the king of Great Britain, who was sacred and inviolable. Uh, the Federalist number 69, nice. 337-38. It strains credulity that Hamilton would have endorsed a reading of the impeachment judgment clause that shields presidents from all criminal accountability uh, unless they are first impeached and convicted by Congress. I mean, clearly, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda would not, would absolutely not support that idea either. Other historical evidence for the... My nose is now itchy. I think I got all sorts of rose hair all over myself. Other historical evidence further supports our conclusion. And now you're back. Yes, hello, Rose. You're back. You missed scratches. You're being very lovey today. Um, other historical evidence further supports our conclusion. For example, founding era sources state that an impeached and acquitted officer may face criminal indictment and trial. Edmund Pendleton, president of the Virginia Ratifying Convention, noted that Senate obstruction of an impeachment charge would not allow an official to escape accountability because the people may yet resort to the courts of justice as an acquittal would not bar that remedy. 10. The Documentary History of the Ratification of the Constitution. Though senators may not be convicted on impeachment before the Senate, they may be tried by their country. So here's the thing. Look, they're citing all these things. I agree with... Watch this cat again. Grabbing my hand and pulling it back to Petter. You are so spoiled. Um, here's the thing. I agree with the, all of these arguments, but... You know, they do, I don't necessarily agree that, you know, it's, it's hypocritical when the, the so-called textualists make arguments that refer to the Federalist Papers and to other books and other sources, because if you're a textualist, i.e. a conservative, because conservatives are the ones that often call themselves textualists, should never be looking at anything other than the text of the documents. And any, anything else is sheer hypocrisy. But they'll often do that. So, see, in drafting the impeachment clause, the extent of the framers contemplated whether impeachment would have a preclusive effect on future criminal charges. Um, Double Jeopardy Memoir 102, noting the liberal scope, liberal scope of discussion. Joseph Story explained that the impeachment judge clause removed doubt that the second trial for the same offense could be had either after acquittal or conviction in the court of impeachments. Story explained that without criminal trial, the grossest official offenders might escape without any substantial punishment, even for crimes which would be subject for their fellow, citizen, fellow citizens to capital punishment. 
Finally, the practical consequences of former President Trump's interpretation demonstrate the implausibility the impeachment judgment clause applies not just to presidents, but also to vice president and all civil officers of the United States. Thus, his reading would prohibit the executive branch from prosecuting current and former civil officers for crimes committed while in office. Unless Congress first impeached and convicted them, no court has previously imposed such an irrational impeachment first constraint on the criminal prosecution of federal officials. I mean, irrational. That's bold language that I like. Irrational. Even if there is an atextual basis for treating presidents differently from the subordinate government officials, as former President Trump suggests, his proposed interpretation would still leave the president free to commit all manner of crimes of impunity as long as he is not impeached and convicted. Former President Trump's interpretation also would permit the commission of crimes not readily categorized as impeachable, i.e. treason, bribery, or other high crimes or misdemeanors. And if 30 senators are correct, crimes not discovered until after a president leaves office. Um, we have no power, statement of minority leader Mitch McConnell, we have no power to convict and disqualify a former office holder who is now a private citizen. All of this leads to us to include that under the best reading of the impeachment judgment clause, a former president may be criminally prosecuted in federal court without any requirement that he first be impeached. Duh. All right, now maybe we'll get to the point where maybe they agree with me. Double jeopardy principles. Former President Trump alternative, alternatively argues Maybe it's coming here that alternatively, alter, let's see, 14, because we conclude that former President Trump is not entitled to categorical immunity from criminal liability for a federally official act, it is unnecessary to explore whether executive immunity, if applied here, would encompass his expansive definition of ex official acts. Nevertheless, we observe that his position appears to conflict with our recent decision in blasting game. According to former president, any actions he took in his role as president should be considered official, including all conduct alleged in the indictment. Appellants BR 41-42, but in blasting game, taking the plaintiff's allegations is true. We held that a president's actions constituting re-election campaign activity are not official and can form the basis for civil liability. So there you go. Anyway, former President Trump alternatively argues that the impeachment judgment clause and principles of double jeopardy bar his prosecution because he was impeached by the House of Representatives for the same or closely related conduct, but acquitted in the Senate, we disagree, clearly. We have discussed the impeachment judgment clause addresses only convicted parties. It does not address the consequences of a Senate acquittal. For the reasons already stated, the clause's provision that the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law does not bar the prosecution. Blah, blah, blah. The clause simply does not speak to such matters, but the weight of historical authority indicates that the framers intended for public officials to face ordinary criminal prosecution as well as impeachment. To the extent that former President Trump relies on double jeopardy principles beyond the text of impeachment judgment clause, those principles cut against him. The double jeopardy clause provides no person shall be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. It has been interpreted to prohibit imposition of multiple criminal punishments for the same offense. Under, pres under precedent interpreting the double jeopardy clause, former President Trump's impeachment acquittal does not bar his subsequent criminal prosecution for two reasons. One, impeachment does not result in criminal punishments. Two, the indictment does not charge the same offense as the single count uh, in the impeachment resolution. A, impeachment is not criminal. Under double jeopardy clause, the defendant is not put in jeopardy of life or limb. Uh, impeachment is a political process. I think we can skip all that. Again, though, although uh, 
they also, again, cite a Justice Thomas dissenting opinion. Uh, the founding generation understood impeachment as a check on presidential abuses. The consequences opposed by the impeachment continuing removal from office and disqualification for their service uh, are entitled to hold officials politically accountable while leaving criminal accountability to the judicial branch. As a result of the political nature of the impeachment proceedings, impeachment acquittals are often unrelated to factual innocence. Uh, see Federal 65. In an impeachment proceeding, there will always be the greatest danger that the decision will be regulated more by the comparative strength of parties than by the real demonstrations of innocence or guilt. Duh. Especially now that impeachment has been made hyperpolitical ever since uh, the Republicans uh, impeached Bill Clinton over lying under oath about a beach, as the youth might say. Former President Trump's acquittal to his impeachment trial on the charge of inciting insurrection makes this point. For 43 senators who voted to acquit relied on a variety of concerns, many of which had nothing to do with whether he committed the charged offense. Those senators cited jurisdictional reasons. Um, statement of Senate Minority, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, we have no power to convict and disqualify a former officeholder who is now a private citizen. Process-based reasons, uh, Todd Young, Senator Young's statements, blah, blah, blah. Um, and political reasons, see uh, Senator Ron Johnson, blah, blah, blah. While I have, there are still questions that remain unanswered, I do know whether capital breach nor this trial would have ever occurred. Hopefully, true healing can now begin, blah, blah, blah. Uh, criminal prosecutions by contractor aim at penalizing individuals for criminal misdeeds. In light of this very different procedures and purposes associated with impeachment proceedings as compared to criminal proceedings, President Trump's reliance on double jeopardy is misplaced. Impeachment is not a criminal process and cannot result in criminal punishment. Uh, he does not seriously contend otherwise, and he does not explain why he believes that impeachment uh, can implicate double jeopardy principles when it does not involve criminal punishment. B, block burger tests. Even if we assume that impeachment is a criminal under double jeopardy, it, the crimes alleged in indictment differ from the offense which Donald Trump was impeached in determining whether two charges are the same for double jeopardy Courts apply the same elements test, so there's no same elements. We can skip that, blah, 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 blah. We have balanced former President Trump's asserted interest in executive immunity against the vital public interest that favor allowing the prosecution to proceed. We conclude that concerns of public policy, especially as illuminated by our history and the structure of our government, compel the rejection of his claim of immunity in this case, bolded in my words by that in those words in this case not overall not he has presidents have no immunity whatsoever but he has no immunity in this case we also have considered the contention that he is entitled to categorical immunity from criminal liability for any assertedly official action that he took as president a contention that is unsupported by president uh history or the text and structure of the constitution finally we are unpersuaded by his argument uh, that prosecution is barred by double jeopardy principles. Accordingly, the oral or order of the district court is affirmed, so ordered. So there you go. That is the ruling by the United States D.C. Court of Appeals. Now, what does the Supreme Court do? Does the Supreme Court say, yes, we will take this up and we will be activist jurists yet again? Does the Supreme Court say, no, this is fine, we don't, we don't care, we don't care to take this up, we will allow the trial to, to continue, and maybe they step in after he's 
if he's convicted, maybe that's the time they, they decide to jump in and, and say whether or not uh, the, the actual judgment against him is correct or not. Who knows? Who can tell with this activist conservative Supreme Court that we have? All that we can know is that as of right now, the current court that has looked at this has said, your arguments are dumb. Your arguments make no sense whatsoever. There, there's no basis in law or fact for any of it. That's any of these arguments that you've made. Period. And your attempts to try and fool this country has failed at this point in time. D.B. Goldring, on what grounds are Trump's lawyers going to say that well-written judgment is flawed? Um, on the grounds that they say so. I, I, I really don't know how they might word it. I mean, they've already made terribly worded arguments uh, as it pertains to this. I mean, on what grounds could they argue that he's immune? They one would one would say how could he argue that a president is has blanket immunity to do anything he wants to do? How could they make that argument based in any sort of law of this land? Yet they tried to do it, they failed, but they still had the, the appeals court still had to hear the case. Now, are is the, does the Supreme Court have to hear the case? No, the Supreme because they had to hear the case because both sides were basically like, please hear this case and please expedite it so we can get an answer. Because Trump wanted an answer because if Trump got an answer in the affirmative, a lot of his a lot of these go away. If Trump, if, if a lot of well, then it would have to then go to the Supreme Court. If, if the if the DC Court of Appeals were to have said, you're right, you're immune then the, the federal government, the Justice Department, then goes up to the Supreme Court, and then the Supreme Court would then have to step in. But because the D.C. Court of Appeals has said, no, you're wrong, all of these cases pertaining to this can now continue on, but the Supreme Court will now have to decide whether or not it wants to wade in to, to add to whatever controversy they want to create. Do they want to create more controversy and make themselves even more illegitimate than they already are? Roberts probably doesn't want to. I don't know if Roberts will have be able to use enough of his say to, to push that forward or not. I don't know. I'm not informed enough to be able to, <laughs> to be able to determine whether or not the, like I, I knew enough about Roberts, for example, to be able to predict that he would vote to uphold Roe v. Wade for the most part, like in, in Dobbs. And he did. He, his vote in Dobbs maintained most of Roe v. Wade. He kept stare decisive. He wanted to keep stare decisive. He allowed the, the, the Mississippi law to stand and, and kind of move the goalposts on timing, but he didn't vote to actually overturn Roe v. Wade. He kept his ideas with very decisive, but it was still 5-4 to overturn Roe v. Wade in case of you Planned Parenthood by the five super activist conservatives on the Supreme Court. So a lot of the times you can determine what Roberts will do because he's, he is more um, predictable on a lot of things. Like, for example, when he 
ruled in the case of um, the Texas um, required law that required um, abortion doctors to have admitting privileges in emergency rooms. Like he voted, yes, Texas doctors should have admitting privileges. He was on the losing side of that argument, and the Texas law was overturned. Then Louisiana's similarly worded law was sent up to the Supreme Court. The structure of the court was different at that time, but because Justice Roberts actually, for the most part, supports stare decisis, he voted to overturn the Louisiana law because the Supreme Court had recently said a similar law, I the Texas law, was unconstitutional. So therefore, if that was unconstitutional, the Louisiana law was unconstitutional, despite him being on the other side of the ruling on the Texas law. So Roberts is a little more predictable, but we're not a 5-4 court, we're a 6-3 court. So even when, so, so when, so when unsettled law comes before the court, you're going to likely see 6-3 when it's pure conservatism versus pure liberal. But on issues of stare decisis, 5-4, typically. On this particular case, though, I mean, when you have to have Justice Thomas going after his own ruling, his own dissent, I, can't, I, I mean, yeah, hypocrisy is a conservative prerequisite. I'm unsure how Justice Thomas goes against his own words. And that has to have been purposeful. It has to have been a purposeful thing for for them to specifically use as Justice Thomas's own arguments. They they had to have put that in there specifically to insulate this ruling and protect the ruling from this activist conservative court. And 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 if they did that, which is my it's, which is my guess that that that's specifically why they cited him and his dissent. It's a sheer stroke of genius in doing so this is the type of brilliantly worded ruling that alito wishes that he could write one day that he'll never do because he's an idiot but alito wishes that he could write this brilliant of a ruling but again he'll never do it because he wrote lila ledverter versus goodyear he wrote salinas v texas he wrote dobbs v jackson his majority opinions and all those rulings were horrible. And I don't expect him to write any good rulings anytime in the near future. Um, but no, this is, this is just a stroke of genius to, to cite Thompson. You're basically saying, playing chicken with Justice Thomas and saying, hey, what are you going to do? Are you going to disagree with yourself? in order to overturn this? Or are you going, are you biting my shoulder now? What the heck are you doing now? You crazy cat? You bit my shoulder. Anyway. <laughs> oh, no. So playing chicken with Justice Thomas saying, look, you, if, you, if you vote to overturn this, this ruling, you're disagreeing with yourself, which would be amazing to see. I, I mean, I don't want to see it, but to, uh, to, to watch Justice Thomas, because Justice Thomas likes to make concurrences. Like if he concurred, when he concurred with Dobbs, he made his own concurrence. Like he likes to have his own ruling, his own concurrence or dissents out there. Like he likes to do that. 
So he'll he'll like because he wants to have his I guess his uh, his opinions out there for history to see. So if for some reason the Supreme Court were to take this, and if for some reason whatever the Supreme Court ruling is, if Justice Thomas disagrees with this ruling, I would love to read it. I would love to see the mental gymnastics that he uses to try and disagree with himself. Hopefully it would be in a dissent with the, with, with the overall Supreme Court voting to uphold this ruling and Thomas dissenting, like maybe an 8-1 ruling or a 7-2 ruling or something. But I think it's more like, I mean, if, if the Supreme Court decides that it's going to be at all relevant, maybe they just kick it back to the to DC and be like, you know what? We're not even going to hear it. This is fine. It, this is fine as it is. Because they could simply just do that, and that could be the end of it. But if we have the opportunity to see a, a Justice Thomas opinion on this, I hope it's in the dissent, and I really want, and, and then I really want to see how he tries to, to make mental gymnastics on how he disagrees with himself. Because again, this is brilliant in how this is written. But. Otherwise, but otherwise, it's still a very well-written argument. And the other way, I don't understand. I don't understand how intelligent jurists could disagree with this. But that's the key word here, isn't it? Intelligent jurists. Do we have five on the court? Sometimes. Sometimes some of the conservatives on the court get it right. Sometimes they don't. We had Alito trying to make an argument in in the uh, was it EPA ruling that the waterways of the United States could equal a could be equated to a puddle, like a puddle of water could be regulated as a waterway or something, according to Alito's mind-bogglingly dumb argument which Kagan correctly pointed out in her dissent. It's so bizarre, the, the strangeness. I'm not expecting any common sense out of Alito whatsoever. I'm not expecting any common sense out of Thomas whatsoever. There's been so many, there's been a ton of rulings out of the, out of the Supreme Court with Thomas on it, where it's been 8-1, where like Thomas is just the lone guy like, I disagree. I'm just going to disagree just to be a contrarian or whatever. 8-1. Maybe this would be an 8-1. That would be the, if the Supreme Court decided to rule on this, that would be great. It would be, I just, I would love to see be an 8-1 where Thomas tries to, uh, tries to justify him disagreeing with himself. But the best case scenario again is the Supreme Court saying, no, we're not taking this. The, the appeals court got it right. Uh, Trump does not have immunity in this case. That's done, set it over with. Go on with your case. We'll deal with it when the case is over, if we feel like we need to gain. We, uh, we'll, we'll deal with it when we have to deal with it with the case. Um, let's see. Stephen says, good thing liberal Dan has big shoulders for the cat. Not just for the cat. Big shoulders are useful for other things. Uh, back when I was in college, um, uh, when you had to hold people up on your on your shoulders when they wanted to catch Mardi Gras beads, that was also useful. Um, it's nice to have a uh, somebody who's attractive sitting up there. 
<laughs> Speaking of Mardi Gras time. Oh, you love oh, you're really loving on me now, huh? Oh my goodness, look at that. That's very snuggly. Wow. That's crazy. There's also the back of the chair behind me, so she's not just using my shoulders. She's also she's also kind of resting against the back of the chair too. So it's not just just me that she's lying on, but um Anyway, so, but this, again, these, these, these arguments made by Trump's attorneys are, are bizarre, and I've, I've been talking about how bizarre they are for a while. Um, I'm glad the court, one of whom was appointed by a Republican, two of whom were appointed by Democrats, but they all universally agreed, 3-0, that there's no merit to this case, there's no merit to this appeal. There's no merit to the idea that Trump has blanket immunity. But, of course, just as Trump makes the dumb argument that uh, the the, uh, impeachment clause means that he has immunity because he wasn't convicted, the dumb MAGA supporters are going to say that the court says that no president has any immunity because they don't understand how to read. Um, P-Dubs, I have no faith in the Supreme Court. I don't have faith in the Supreme Court either. Either I don't I don't really understand, you know, why they do the things that they do. I'm just, you know, judging the idea that perhaps, perhaps let's take a picture of this because this is hilarious and Cassie's going to get a really kick out of that one. Um, perhaps in this particular case, maybe they will, um, maybe they will decide that perhaps they want to err on the side of caution and just allow the case to proceed and that if the case happens to go in a way that goes against Trump, that at that point they could step in on appeal then. Because, again, you could get you – could, you could, they could claim – they could argue the immunity case at this point and they could just kick it back and say just deal with the case now and then they could still deal with the case and if Trump gets convicted, that could still get that ruling can then get kicked up to the D.C. Court of Appeals, and then the D.C. Court of Appeals will have to deal with that conviction, and then that conviction can then go up to the Supreme Court, and then you could deal with it at that point. So that's another thing. The Supreme Court could could basically say we're not going to deal with it now. We're going to let this immunity argument go away because at the end of the day, we can kick the can down the road and deal with it if he gets convicted, and if he gets convicted. Then it goes back to the D.C. Court of Appeals, and then if he gets convicted, and if, and if that appeal doesn't hold up, then it goes to us again. Then we can deal with it at that point in time, and then it becomes the real meat of the issue, and then we can ter- determine whether or not he should have been convicted or not. So that, that could very well be where they rest. That could be very well where they end up. So, Misha, uh, they want to keep their own power. And they could, I mean, they don't have to necessarily, they don't, they could necessarily say, they, they don't have to agree in, in full, or they don't have to overturn the, the uh, they don't have to overturn it in full. If they disagreed with this and hear, heard, if they heard this, if they decided, okay, we're going to hear this appeal, they could, they could affirm in part and reverse in part. They could say, we agree that that 
Marbury versus Madison and Article Three courts have the ability to, rev- to to have review and to hear these cases. We just don't. We just believe still that there is immunity in this case because that's another thing. Just like with Bush v. Gore, it was a Bush v. Gore was a narrow decision only on Bush v. Gore. It didn't set any legal precedent. So. So the Supreme Court, if they took this up, they wouldn't have to make the argument that about whether or not there is overall presidential immunity. They could they could leave that unchecked or they could make a ruling that says Donald Trump does have immunity here, but we're not going to make the argument as to whether we're, we're going to agree with the appeals court that we have the power to review, we're going to agree with the appeals court that presidents don't have blanket immunity, but we're going to disagree with the appeals court and say that Trump has specific immunity here and make it and and have that be strictly limited to him. And then of course it's a ridiculous ruling, but it's an activist conservative court. Just like Bush v. Gore court was an activist conservative court when they ruled on Bush v. Gore. So there's many different paths that the Supreme Court can take here. And it could very well, it really depends on, and who knows which goes first, the chicken or the egg? No, who knows which goes, I mean, maybe it turns out that it, that the Supreme Court, because you have in the case of of the um, of the Colorado case, you have people writing uh, amicus briefs uh, that are secretaries of state of other states that are not involved with the case that are basically saying, "Look, we don't have a dog in this hunt. We don't have we don't we don't necessarily care how you rule, but they are basically asking the Supreme Court to make this ruling not narrow to Colorado." But we want you to make this ruling to apply nationwide because we want this answer settled before the election. We want you to say whether or not Trump is, 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 is eligible or not, or whether or not courts can say if Trump is eligible or not, and just have that be settled immediately so that we don't have to have this over and over and over again, having this linger over our heads. So there are amicus briefs being fi- have, that have been filed before the court. Um, that, that the hearings are being held tomorrow that are basically asking them, say, look, don't make this just be about Colorado. Make this nationwide. Make the final ruling now so that we so that we have under no uncertain terms a conclusive answer as to whether or not Trump can be prohibited from the ballot or not. And of course, as I've talked about on the show previously, um, is you know, my opinion on how the Supreme Court may very well go with this is they might very well say in the primaries, you're not voting for a president, you're voting for who the party nominee is. So it's not really a federal election. So therefore, you can't bar Trump from you can't bar, you know, the the prohibition in the 14th Amendment for people serving is not applicable in a primary. That's how I think they're going to rule, because I think that's how they're going to go with this. Again, I could be wrong. But I think ultimately, we'll see how the questioning goes. 
before the Supreme Court tomorrow. Um, but if you're if you happen to listen for to, if you happen to be watching it, if you happen to listen to the arguments that are being made, and if you happen to listen to the questions being made, especially by Alito, by Gorsuch, by Kavanaugh, by Barrett, um, by Roberts. If, if you listen, I don't know if Thomas is going to ask any questions. I doubt it. Because uh, he's, he's, even though he loves to have his own concurrences or dissents out there by himself, he's famous for not an- asking many questions otherwise. But what I would say is that watch for that type of question. If those type of questions get asked by the five of six conservative activists on that court as to whether or not the 14th Amendment should apply to primary elections, that's, that may very well be a signal as to where they go. That may very well be a signal that, hey, they're going to be going towards the idea that the 14th Amendment doesn't apply here because this isn't the general election, this is the primary election. So therefore, we're not ruling here. We're going to kick it back because you can't, this is not an applicable election. The only time it's applicable would be in an election where somebody is running for an actual federal office where this, where this is not a federal office election. This is a primary, this is a nominating election. And then when it would come back up again, it's like, oh, well, you're not really voting for president when it comes to the general election. You're voting for the electors. It's the electors when they vote that are voting for the president or vice president. So that's the time when you have to worry about. So then you have all those cards. And so then the point, the point of contention then becomes, well, is it December? Is it the point in December where the electoral college meets that you have to determine whether or not you could vote for them or not? Or is it the point of the January 6th of 2025 where it then becomes relevant as to whether or not the president can serve because the electoral college votes are that are now being cast for somebody who is potentially ineligible to serve in office. And then you have a no whole different January 6th that becomes famous for a whole different other reason. So, but again, this is just my conjecture at this point. Uh, again, we'll see how the questions go tomorrow. I, I don't know what my plans are for Friday. If, if there's no, if there's no, if we don't go to a parade on Friday and I'm not busy packing for my cruise, I may very well do a show on the oral arguments, then we can go over those. Just keep. I'll, I'll probably post something on Twitter, Liberal Dan Radio on Twitter. I'll probably also post something on YouTube as well, just to say. I don't know. If, I don't really know how to best uh, share this on Twitch, but I'll. I will let um, Andrea and et al know um so that the people in the house barks chat i might hop into the, if there's a house barks chat going on and say look i am going to do a special show tonight just let y'all know so, so let's go back through the chat because i haven't been paying too much attention to the chat at this point um see there's the there's the there's the chair that rose was was laying on a little bit as i move to adjust you're going to come back on apparently the reason rose is here snuggling with me is because her mama wasn't wanting her to lay on her face. So <laughs> let's see. There we go. Now you're back on my shoulders, little kitten. Um, so just because he may not be found guilty, he still may be prosecuted for being guilty. A Scalia of P's and Q's reason. Let's see. I have no faith in Supreme Court. Again, how disappointed would we have been if another decision was made by the court? Very, 
Um, how soon until Alina Haba has an OnlyFans? Uh, uh, maybe that's a question for Liberal Dan after dark if we ever get that going. Um, if Abbott can ignore their rulings, the other states can as well. True. Um, although the ruling from the Supreme Court was that uh, the federal government, specifically the Border Patrol, can cut the existing razor wire. The, the, the ruling from the court was not that, uh, at the moment at least, was not that they couldn't put more razor wire out, which is stupid because they shouldn't be considered to have the authority to put the razor wire out on the border in the first place because, again, they lack Texas lacks the no state has the authority to enforce border policy because of the Constitution, but the supposed lovers of the Tenth Amendment don't really like the Constitution at all and don't understand the Tenth Amendment. So, uh, let's see. Vanilla, how do we know Donnie hasn't made a promise to SCOTUS for future positions? I don't, I don't know if the Supreme Court would want future positions. I think they're, now that they can make money doing other things, I think they're happy with their cushy jobs and they'll be more than happy to go off into the sunset, if you will. Um, the bottom line, if Trump is the nominee, uh, he will lose. Uh, they, will, they may lose the House and Senate too, then we can expand the court. I mean, we could. But we should have expanded the court. Well, I mean, we should have expanded the court in 2021, 2022. But of course, we couldn't because we don't have, we didn't have the enough people in the Senate to allow that to happen because you have Manchin and Cinema who were too conservative to allow that to happen. Uh, however, um, it's my idea. I mean, 13 is the number that should be the number that you that, that you end up at. But to me, you don't start off at 13, you start off at 15. You say, let's expand the court to 15, and then you negotiate down to 13. See, God Almighty, everything needs to be written in stone and indisputable with boilerplate language because conservatives will always argue it is up to their interpretation. But that's the problem. As Donald Trump said in 2016, and after the Nevada primary, he loves the poorly educated. Even clearly worded things doesn't matter. Something can be clearly worded, and they'll still argue that it's not. Remember the whole, you know, alternative facts thing. Um, Robin and ballots have to be printed. Printers need to be have make plans. Election officials have to know what the f is going on. That's true, which is why you know uh, decisions has to be made. But again. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to rule the way that we want them to rule. Um, need a sign. Your hands must be this big to be president. I'm so, I have tiny hands. They're just world small. Nobody has better hands than me just because they're small. They're just so small because they look small against my big head. Not the little head, the big head. Um, if they rule that he is disqualified... Chris. Chris says if they rule they will be that he's disqualified from office, they'll be nationwide. But they don't have to rule that he's disqualified from office, though. They could rule, for example, uh, that states have the authority to determine whether or not he can be on the ballot, 
and as such, they could uphold that that Colorado has the authority to determine whether or not he's qualified uh, to be on their ballot because the states are the ones that ultimately run elections. And as such, they could they could just kick it back to each individual state to determine whether or not an individual person is qualified to be on their ballots or not. That's the other alternative that they have. They don't have to just say, yes, he's qualified. No, he's not qualified. They could also say Colorado has the authority to determine whether or not somebody is qualified or not. And as such, or states, they could even just say all states have the authority to make the determination if somebody is qualified or not. As such, that determination is not up to us. They could say the determination is up to uh, each individual state and who, whoever the legislature of that state empowered to make those decisions. And if and whoever the legislature empowered to make those decisions, whoever whatever that decision is made, it goes to that person to make that decision. So it, like in Maine, I think, was the other state. I think the Secretary of State makes that decision. Um, in Colorado, it was the Supreme Court that made the decision, et cetera. So whether or not you know, the Supreme Court's the one that makes the decision in Colorado or in Maine, if it's the Secretary of State or wh whoever makes the decision, whatever the state, they can make the argument that it's up to the individual states to make that determination for themselves, since ultimately it's the states that run the election. It would be a terrible ruling, but I'm sure that would be a, a terrible ruling is what we'd expect, especially if it's Alito that's writing it. But it's just another example. I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting that that's how they would go, but it's a possibility of how they could go and not just say yes or no. They could just punt it back to the states and not take any personal responsibility or accountability on the whole thing. So what's going on, Donnarumma? Good to see you um, over on Twitch. Uh, love Jamie Raskin. If anyone's meant to, meant to be here appointed by God, it's Jamie Raskin. Yeah. Anybody else here making frozen pizza? Not I. Um, I'm still kind of stuffed from dinner because I went to go eat a lot of meat at a churrascaria or whatever, uh, Brazilian steakhouse, all the meat. I had all the meat. Um, see, Robin, I'm living in the moment with Dan tonight too. Uh, where are you going on your cruise? We are going to Cozumel, Belize and Roatan on Carnival. Um, and it's funny. We have... Me and me and my wife and my kids, we have two separate rooms. Me and my kid, and me and one of the kids in one of them, and casting the other kid in the other one. And uh, it ended up being cheaper uh, because I, I I had some gambling uh, credits or whatever. Like I gambled a bit and I won. Like I played some poker and I had some spent some time at the poker table. And then I also spent some time at the blackjack table and I won blackjack as well. So uh, because I gambled a good bit. They gave me a good casino rate and they gave me like a, a, a deal where I get $500 credit per stateroom. So if I got two staterooms, it means we got $1,000 overall in credit. So even though the cost of the staterooms individually were more than the cost of one, one stateroom that held four people, barely, um, by adding the $1,000 in credits, we, it made it so that when we paid for our shore excursions and the drink package and everything, it ended up being overall cheaper getting two separate rooms. So it's funny, my, my wife and I and our kids are going on a cruise, but we're staying in separate rooms. It's funny. Um, see, I dropped off 300 pounds of food at a shelter. Thank you all. That's awesome, Benny Loco. Good on you. 
um, ah, I scrolled too much too far. Um, I'm sure very good of you for jumping off all that food. I'm sure they are very much appreciative for you and everybody that helped you. Um, See, Phil Stone, I'm more concerned that they will take the immunity case and plant seeds for Cheney's urinary executive theory and ruling, which still denies pervert Hoover. Um, Aaron, I turned into a pumpkin at midnight. I like pumpkins. Um, I'm glad a small local churches to help people in need. This is the mega churches that need a mansion that's just uh, agree. Um, lock the kids in one room. Problem is, is that the rooms, they're, they're not rooms where you can put the two beds together. It's a lower bed and an upper bed. So it's not like we can actually shove the two beds together and have a nice big king. Um, so, and neither of us are probably going to want to climb up onto the bunk bed. I don't think I'd feel safe on a bunk bed. Um, so it's probably just going to be one kid on the, on each bunk and then each of us on the lower one. And then, you know, whatever. But we'll spend most of the time out of the room anyway because it's, you know, cruise. We want to enjoy most of the cruise outside of the room. So there you go. Anyway, so I think we spent enough time talking about uh, talking about Herr Donald um, so, uh, and his immunity. Uh, we will go ahead and uh, end this episode. That is the end of today's episode of Liberal Dan Radio, talk from the left, that's right. If it's possible, I will go ahead and do a Friday show. I don't know if it's totally possible yet. Um, it'll depend on how much audio is available. Um, if, it is, if, if it is available, then we'll do it. And, and if, I, if I'm not going to trade, and if I'm not, I can do it. If it's not, then I'll let you know either way. I'll post it on YouTube and I'll post it on Twitter. Post it everywhere that I typically post. And I'll also make sure that people like um, Hal and everybody else know, um, you know, Andrea and stuff like that as well. So um, if not, if I don't have a show on Friday, then I again, won't be here next week. See you the Monday afterwards. Uh, if I don't, if y'all have a great weekend. Uh, and then I'll see you later for more Liberal Band Radio. Talk to the left. That's right.